Good morning, Patriots. It's June 22nd, 2023, and this is Fire in the Dark with your host, American Prometheus. Tonight, we'll be discussing the disappearance of the Titan submersible vessel. An accident? Or a stealthy attack from the Ragon? Coming up later, we have an interview with the Science Patrol whistleblower who recently made waves online for publishing the Jamila papers, and trust me, folks, the stuff in there is quite alarming. But even more alarming is this leaked audio we recently obtained here at Fire in the Dark from the Kami Propaganda Podcast Ultra Q. Folks, you won't believe what they decided to cut out from episode 15. Take a listen, I think it speaks for itself. Monkey paw, uh, curl, finger curls sort of thing, where, um, oh, all the, all the stuff in the movie did just, you know, it is just here. Yeah, I, 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 know, I, I, don't, I, I don't think we're gonna get giant Pucci, okay? I was, I was sat here thinking, are we getting, is, is, is there going to be, is that what they're going to do? That would be really funny. Um, I'm, it might not happen, but I am thinking it could, it could That happen. being said, I could see a world where Fuji's actress is like, well, fucking June <laughs> they gotta do a giant episode and fucking give me one. That seems like fun. Yeah. She deserves it. Yeah. But that being said, I have a feeling they won't do it. Oh. I hope they do. But I've got my fingers crossed. Uh, but you hear to hear, uh, folks, we're uh, in favor of of uh, large women. Yeah. Well, when you word it like that, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, when you when you word it like that, it's definitely true. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Ultra Q episode 20. Um, my name is Red. I am joined by Mel. All time guy is one of my favorite phrases. Absolutely. And I am joined by Razen. Uh, Mephilus kind of had cake. Y- yeah, he got, s- he got slimmed down for that movie. So right out of the gate, I'm just going to tell you right now, I- we apologize slightly. A little bit. We don't care that much, but we apologize a little bit, um, because because it was funny. We watched Shin Ultraman to start this whole thing. Uh, we are now running into the thing where we're gonna talk about Shin Ultraman. Of course, we're gonna talk about Shin Ultraman. We have to talk about Shin Ultraman. Uh, so if you haven't seen Shin Ultraman, 
I I would watch Shin Ultraman at some point. Um, maybe you know, watch the rest of Ultraman and then watch Shin Ultraman. I don't know. Figure it out. The point is, coming up, funny plant man. Hayata briefly manages to be cute. And the return of the all-time guy. Um, but before that, uh, I just wanted to say... So we, we talked last week about like open world games briefly um, and open world games that aren't jam packed, aren't like too big. Like I, I believe Razan, you talked about Spider-Man or something. He talked yes. about how it was small enough. I played the Pathless, which is a really nice open world. It's like by the Abzu journey people. Um, this was like new... the PS5 like launch type like game, right? I think pa- possibly, but it has a PS4 version that, I played because I don't like the PS5 controller, <laughs> um, and uh, I, you know, I played the played it with my PS4 controller because um, that doesn't murder my hands. But the um, uh, yeah, that's a really nice open world game with uh, just nice uh, traversal mechanics. You like shoot the talismans to make you to give you boost, uh, and you uh, while you run, and you've got like a bird that uh, lifts you into the air, and it's just really nice. Um, uh, like these separate plateaus uh, that you navigate and there's a boss on each one that you have to take down like kind of Shadow of the Colossus style um, but you know I, I don't mean like climbing I mean like the, I mean the, the framework but uh, the uh, I just think it's really good my one uh, the one flaw in the Pathless is that I can recognize the voice of Laura Bailey at 500 yards so uh, <laughs> So whenever this main character spoke in what I believe is a constructed language, I was like, "That's not a that's not a, a hero, uh, a, like a, a hero of 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 her time. Uh, that's Laura Bailey. <laughs> that's just <laughs> that's just a vo- that's just a voice actor. <laughs> that's a woman who plays too much D and D every Thursday." <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, um, I thought the Pathos was really good, um, and it was really pretty. Uh, it was good good video game. Um, if you make a game move nice, you're 95% of the way to a good video game, and you have to really fuck up that last 5% oh, uh, to make a bad one. Before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, so, we... I briefly want to say, I briefly want to say, I am annoyed that the Armored Core 6 gameplay turned into a culture war thing with factions, <laughs> because I... I, first of all, I don't really like the lock-on. And I want to be able to say that without aligning myself with losers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't, I'm not keen on it, but, you know, I'll, I'll, it looks like a good game. But uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I, I yeah, reminds don't me of have a much else. A friend of mine said where, where he was like, I hate when you dislike something, but, like, other people dislike it for the wrong reasons of you, and you don't want to be bunched into them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I had I had that for ages with... <laughs> so, my, my go-to example of that is, like, uh, the second season of Psychopaths, which isn't good, uh, but people hate it because of the... Uh, at the time, they hated it because of the, the girl, the, the her, Akane's new partner um, in season two. And uh, she's the best bit. She's the good bit of the show. <laughs> Mika's uh, Mika's great. Um, love a woman who's just uh, the most evil person in the world. 
Oh, it's perfect. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, you know, I'm gonna play the video game. Uh, but I'm I'm slowing down on. I was I was planning on playing more Armored Core and maybe playing like the Xbox Armored Cores. Uh, but uh, I'm gonna slow down because I'm like, I you know maybe I won't it the new one won't scratch my itch. I don't know yet, so we'll see. Play the uh, Metal Wolf Chaos. Yeah, that's uh, that will definitely uh, fit the vibe that I'm after. Um, I love the president of the United States of America. I'm always saying it. Uh, it, Playing that game when that remaster came out and just realizing like, oh, they took Armored Core and made it an arcade shooter was really fucking weird to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, the The other thing I did... And I believe, uh, Ryzen, you will also be talking about this. I'll I'll let you start. I play because, you know, I have not played as many of either of these types of games as you. Uh, Damn, I wish I had a PS5. <laughs> yeah, I played the Final <laughs> Fantasy 16 demo. Yeah. Uh, what did you think? Uh, I fucking loved it a lot. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> it... It won me over hard. Uh, I, I so like I haven't really been keeping up with the pre-release stuff for this game. I've been doing that less and less with modern games, just because I I don't honestly I don't care as much as I used to. I'm gonna play the fucking thing anyways. I'll just like naturally discover how I feel about it. I I'm not swarming over trailers or gameplay breakdown type things I, I i feel like i'm just over that period of my life that is time i i could use going through my massive backlog of games and shows and movies that i need and, and books that i need to attend to um so the only thing i've really been catching is just oh this this is final fantasy by way of devil may cry they have the the devil may cry 5 combat designer working directly on this game as a battle planner um there's it's also, a stinger there's a stinger, uh, you have enemy step. step, there's a helm splitter, uh, it's all in there. Uh, and also it is being helmed by um, Yoshi P, who is uh, known for uh, also doing Final Fantasy XIV, uh, very beloved like king of the MMO genre at this point. Um, and, uh, you know, people like the story and, and his view of the world in, in that game a lot, and, and he is... There's a there's a whole subsect of Final Fantasy now for people that is just like 14 and, and like Yoshi P's vision of it. Um, in the same way that for many people Final Fantasy is Nomura and his stuff. Uh, so I I saw that he was in charge of it. I've again I'm I'm barely through 14. I'm still working my way through A Realm Reborn, which is kind of the awkward base main story that even fans of the game say is kind of a slog and isn't exactly indicative of the later quality of the game so is, is, the, ver- is the version of the game that they made after they killed the original game <laughs> yes exactly uh and i do not want to know how bad the base version is because i have spoken with people that played the base version and are like oh a realm reborn is so much better and i went really this <laughs> is through gritted teeth there of, is yikes. there is one let's play that i found um, on YouTube that I am very slowly walking my way, th- working my way through, <laughs> um, because I'm curious. Um, but yeah. Uh, so, Yoshi P had a lot of really fucking weird, uh, and also 
just out outright bad statements uh, <laughs> in interviews going into this game, including like, "Hey, why aren't there any people of color?" Uh, and like very bad uh, generic statements about like, "Oh, we need to make the fantasy world realistic by making it." all super white and bad oh, shit and, like and that. then dragon's dogma 2 trailer runs <laughs> <laughs> yeah honestly um and also someone and i understand how this happens i i honestly i do think that this is a this is a type of quote that i feel like you'll get a lot but someone asked like hey what's the story about like what what are the politic like what's the political thing going for here and he, he gave the the longest fucking essay response about how it's about how fighting bad and everyone has their own opinion and perspective but maybe we have to all come together to understand fighting bad like it was it was just a nonsense non-answer that didn't reveal you know who, anything <laughs> you know you know who could fix final fantasy 16's world kira yamato <laughs> <laughs> yeah a little bit um so I, I had been excited by the stuff we had actually seen in the in the trailers that I had seen, like, at the showcases and stuff, and, and what I knew this game was going for. Uh, also, too, worth noting, Yoshi P is a very heavily inspired by the works of Matsuno, who you may know from things like Tactics Ogre, Vagrant Story, like, all the Evilly stuff, Final Fantasy XII, uh, FFT. Uh, major influence on Yoshi P's own vision of Final Fantasy and what he wants it to be. Uh, this game is also skewing more towards the classic fantasy, uh, like high fantasy type of Final Fantasy, rather than the, uh, I guess more cyberpunk-y, a little more science fiction side of things that, uh, the series has been trending towards as of late, uh, I feel. Like, I mean, FF15 was basically modern, like a modern fantasy, urban fantasy style thing. Yeah. And, uh, uh, just having fully functional FF7 is a cyberpunk game. FF7 is just cyberpunk, yeah. Um, this is this is more towards the like medieval fantasy side of things, um, and some people are mad about that. I, personally, I feel I said this on I, I did a stream through of the demo, which is just the early part. It's just the beginning part of the game, and then there's a later slice of gameplay that they kind of custom made specifically to show off what like later game combat looks like. Um, and I, what I said during that stream is I, I, I don't really mind that it's medieval fantasy. I feel like part of the joy of Final Fantasy is that it is so versatile and what it can be. Uh, and, and I think, you know, I, I don't think that, like, griping over which specific flavor of whatever iteration it is is honestly all that useful because next time around it's probably going to be different again. Um, and I, I think it's kind of cool that they can do that, honestly. Yeah, also... Uh, also it's not like FF7 Rebirth isn't coming out next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like there's there is so much Final Fantasy out in the world, and there's there's many many different hats that the series wears for sure. Um, I will say the demo at the beginning kind of rubbed me the wrong way because there there are a lot of AAA modern video game prestige isms in here. Hold R two to open door dramatically. Hold Hold R2 to open door dramatically. Um, no video game menu trusts you to hit the option anymore. For some reason, every fucking video game menu decision you make now, you have to hold X for like a second because 
we're afraid of commitment now in in UI, I guess. I don't understand it. I get it for, like, big decisions that, like, you can't take back. Like, yes, make me hold down the button to make sure I don't accidentally hit something. But when I'm going to a place on the world map, why are you making me hold down X to fill up a bar? I don't get it. But, um... There's also a lot of, oh, okay, we got uh, big cutscenes, and then we're going to have you walk around a little bit while a big spectacle, climactic thing happens, and then every five steps, your main character goes, whoa, and then stumbles. I, I, fuck, I don't need that. Just make it a cutscene. I don't need to play it. I, I know that they do this because there are people in a fucking lab somewhere analyzing people's brains and doing ridiculous surveys. That tell you this is the optimal way to engage players is to make them feel like they're playing a game and pressing buttons and doing things, even though it's just a cutscene you're playing through. Just do you, do give you, me a cutscene; it would be faster. Do you know what game did uh, walk through a cutscene while it's happening really well? Uh, what Final Fantasy VIII? Yeah. <laughs> uh, this this is doing the the modern AAA video game. Uh, goddamn, we animated the fuck out of this sequence, and we're gonna show it to you. And it's just like I, you could have cut this down by just showing it to me as a as an actual like in engine video. I I don't need to play through this. Uh, that being said, when the gameplay starts and you get full access to the combat system, uh, I fucking dug in. I felt right at home. Uh, this game is bananas. Uh, they decided to make a Final Fantasy game where you play as a guy who will inevitably get all of the core powers of all three of the Devil May Cry 5 protagonists in one guy. It's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, I, so <laughs> I hope I can one day play this game, because damn. Yeah, the main thing I took away uh, from uh, this thing, because, you know, it was early slice of game plus uh, then later slice of game that it's like, I don't really know i haven't acquired these abilities and so I, I i like one by one so i don't really know what i'm doing but i uh the one thing i took away was um <laughs> they weren't kidding about the game of thrones influence you just play as a Jon snow knockoff <laughs> yeah it's really funny to, it's like go ahead to, to be fair uh, most of the evilest games were also inspired by game of thrones as early as the 90s so Oh, it does track I have not considered this. <laughs> there, there is so from what I recall, it's partially. I remember reading a thing, and I I could need to double check this, but I remember reading a thing that Matsuno himself wasn't so much inspired by it as so much the localization team was reading I, that stuff at yeah, the time. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. The localization was definitely inspired by like uh, Martin's works. Uh, wouldn't mm -hmm. be surprising if Matsuno like engage them but he's probably also just like just in a similar space and so it made sense to localizers to like carry some of that forward into the localization um, absolutely but, but uh, it, it also does track that like if you're into ivalice you're going to be inspired by game of thrones to some degree anyway the well. the the thing that i saw that apparently because people were saying this too and i mean even i was in this camp where it's like i feel like I felt that a lot of the Game of Thrones stuff that was shown in the pre-release stuff was, or comparisons were being a little overstated, and I was like, hey, I feel like people are missing out on what has already been 
shown as a clear influence, which is all the evilly stuff. Uh, but then it apparently came out that someone involved with 16's production said that they were giving out Blu-ray sets of Game of Thrones, like, in the studio for people to watch <laughs> while they made the game. That's so funny to do. In tw- <laughs> That's so funny to do for a game releasing in 2023. <laughs> Honestly, yes. Um, Good news for the ending of uh, Final Fantasy Um, But uh, I... I thought it was uh, funny when I got a little uh, dog, and I was uh, the the son that was uh, not dis not approved of by his mother, <laughs> um, and I I was the older one, and I, I had like a, a younger brother uh, who is like special, has some sort of special power and stuff, and I'm like, oh, okay, I see, I I understand. Uh, well, I think you'd find, Red, that that boy will not become... I, I guess I can't spoil both 16's prologue and Game of Thrones ending, but, uh... <laughs> uh no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh... Um, yeah, I am... I... So the thing that I'm doing is I'm, um... I'm playing through uh dragon's dogma right now so i don't know that i'm gonna pick this up when it comes out i might because i be- is there gonna be a, a pc release at some point i believe i think they Final have Fantasy like a 16? year's worth of exclusivity all right a year from now i'm happy i'm happy to wait for a year play it on pc because i uh i will not be playing another uh action game on uh, PS5 controller <laughs> for an extended amount. Of time. I'm not doing that. Uh, El- uh, Elden Ring was my last one. I was like, nah, you know what? I'm, <laughs> I'm alright. This is so... This is... Your arc with the PS5 controller is so funny to me because, like, the PS5 controller might be the controller I'm the most comfortable using. Uh, it hates my hands. It tries to kill me every time I pick it, I pick it up. <laughs> Damn. It's because... It's because you gotta turn the motors off. <laughs> <laughs> they resist they, re- they resist you they um, resist me and also kill the battery life <laughs> um mm-hmm. yeah i i had a good time with this it is it is somewhat shameless in how influ like influenced by devil may cry it is but also like you know i fucking love devil may cry so i i didn't mind too much um like when when you activate the garuda powers you just get the devil bringer from nero your dog is just doing stuff that V's, like, panther could do. Uh, it's it's just all there. You got enemy step. Uh, I'm curious what the rest of those powers look like. Uh, oh, yeah, Titan's block is just kind of royal guard. Um, I do think it's cool that they're, they're leaning so hard into the summon stuff, and there's definitely a lot of kaiju influence there. Um, those fights are kind of just whatever to me. They're, they're big set piece battles that are, they're, I, honestly, it's Asura's Wrath. That's what it is. I, I, I was, I was like, um, I've heard people talk up Asura's Wrath. I think that might be insulting to Asura's Wrath. I, there was, I was really, I was like, this is fucking five minutes of holding down triangle for shooting fireballs at this guy. And I'm like, I don't, I, I think this needs some work. There, I feel like they would be fine if they were shorter. That that yes. E3 Phoenix fight goes on too long. <laughs> um, it needs to be as long as an Ultraman Kaiju fight. <laughs> oh, oh, you know what? Yes. Uh, 
it needs to be, well, you know, the shorter ones. I think Clive needs a color timer. Oh, I got some color timer lore for y'all when we get into the production history of this episode. Oh, but... shit. <laughs> right. um, yeah, uh, like, I, I will say I am fairly interested in seeing where the story goes, especially when you get to the end of the demo and you kind of see, like, oh, what exactly went down here. Um, the 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 situation around Ifrit is ambiguous enough that I have some theories that I'm curious what they do with the actual game. Um, that felt the most JRPG-ass thing out of that entire game that otherwise felt like a lot more traditional fantasy. Mm. Suddenly, there's... A big second fire icon being summoned, and a, a guy right before being incinerated says, that shouldn't be possible. Um, and a lot of questions about who that is. Um, I don't have many questions. I think I know who that is. I think I know who it is, too. <laughs> and uh, I I want to know the logistics of how all of that work. Uh, I Actually, I will say, too. My other big thing, aside from really liking the combat in this game, I am so fucking happy that we are back to JRPGs having an abstracted world map with disparate locations that are, are slices of areas and we don't have everything in one giant world that paradoxically makes everything feel smaller than what old I... games used to do. I saw you talking about this, like, months ago on Twitter. I tuned into your stream and you were talking about it. This is, <laughs> you're so happy about this map. I, 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 listen, I will go to my grave talking about how we need to bring back abstracted world maps because SMT5 is four big rooms. That game's world <laughs> is four big rooms. I hate it. The Vortex world in Nocturne and, and, and SMT4 Tokyo, the fact that you go around a big world map and you become a little cursor, it makes it feel much more bigger and alive than, like, fucking 15 is some dude's backyard. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm so... I, I hope that other games learn from this and we are back to the PS2 era of world design. I, I really want this for myself. Yeah. Um, well, that's, uh, that's Final Fantasy 16, um, with some dunks on SMT5 in the middle of it, because, you know, we had to, Because um, Razen's here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, event- One day I'll finish that game. I am not gonna play that game. I think I've decided- <laughs> I've, I've, like, every time I see it, I, I heard it just doesn't really have dungeons, I'm like, what? <laughs> what are you talking it's, about? Uh, it, it's, a. Uh, it is an okay capital O video game. Damn. I think your time uh, is better spent elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's a long one as well. Uh, Mal, what you been up to? Uh, to be honest, I haven't really finished. Well, I, I'm okay. So I finished Dunbine this week. <laughs> I I also finished Dunbine this week. I uh, thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good too. Uh, I feel like it's a good time. I do feel like I feel like in like the first two thirds more than the last third as crazy I as the transition like bison to bison well <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah like okay so, so spoilers for dunbine uh <laughs> mm, mm, you know what you know what mm, i don't know do we do, mm, do we do spoiler talk for dunbine i'll signpost it we'll we'll i'll i'll put in a, a spoiler I'll, a spoiler warning with a timer don't worry uh so spoilers for dunbine 
Dunbine spoilers end at about 46 minutes. Yeah. Uh, so I think it is very cool having an isekai where, like, you do just go back to the real world and it has, like, consequences. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, Bison Well is cool. And that is, like, <laughs> where all the interesting stuff was. Uh, the first trip to Earth uh, was maybe the coolest thing that's ever happened in anime. Um, it's I, very good. I'm like, uh, and uh, the return is is also excellent. And then uh, these initial steps of the first trip to Earth, of the second trip to Earth, are fantastic. I uh, show uh, telling Cham what sunrise is. And asking her to, to look at it with him because it might be the last sunrise he ever sees. I was like, this anime is incredible. <laughs> uh, it is... Todd Guinness saying mommy is the best. <laughs> yes! <laughs> stealing, he's just stealing, getting home for the first time in forever and just going, mommy? And then stealing salami from the fridge. <laughs> uh, I, I have to say, I don't feel like I have a lot of strong Dunbine opinions other than overall I like the show quite a bit but I will say Todd and Shot Weapon maybe two of my favorite Tomino guys. Shot Weapon is a little little bastard. <laughs> I Listen, like him. Red it's okay he's from Australia. He's, he's from, from Australia. He's from California he got sent to Australia because of <laughs> Tomino what's going on? <laughs> It's not a. It's not a prison anymore. <laughs> uh, it might. Some might argue it's a prison house of nations. But anyway. Well, yeah. Um. But uh. Yeah. I. 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 I basically just like uh think like the first two thirds of Dunbine are uh maybe one of my favorite anime I've ever seen, and then the last third is like yeah this is alright. Um. It, it, I think it. Uh. I sometimes think about. Uh, the last like ten episodes of Victory Gundam, where um, basically like ten episodes from the end of Victory Gundam, they kick off what they're calling the final fight, and I'm like, well, this isn't the final fight. Obviously, we've got ten episodes left. No, they're not fucking kidding. This is all <laughs> fight. This is all final battle. Uh, for ten episodes, and it's great. It's so sick. <laughs> um, and compared to Dunbine, where I the it's a lot of fighting in like the home stretch, but it doesn't have the momentum that like the home stretch of Victory Gundam does. I, um, I will say as so I I've seen I've watched Dunbine through twice. One was a while back, and then a few months ago before like the the recent run with GGP doing it and covering it uh, mm -hmm. week to week. Uh, I, I had watched it, and I decided not to watch it a third time just because it was so like you know I had just done so. Um, and I, I will say, even with that month's time behind me, a lot of that final part blurs together for yeah. me in a way where I'm like, I, I couldn't tell you except for, like, the big stuff right at the end with the major deaths. It, it's hard for me to tell mm -hmm. you where specific events fell into place during that final battle arc. Mm-hmm. And I, I still haven't listened to the GGP episodes, so I'm I'm just going, going in fresh thoughts um on on Dunbine, but i like it yeah uh i feel i i it's no idion for me but 
I, I yeah. in, in general, I think I like a lot of his other stuff surrounding that show more, but I still like Dunbine quite a bit. Yeah, I feel like I feel like if more of Dunbine was like the two the first two thirds, I'd probably put Dunbine over Radeon. Because uh, I feel like probably I, cause I feel same. Like, yeah, because I feel like uh, with Idion, like it's all it's consistently good, but there is like the part in the middle where it is kind of more of the monster of the week stuff. You know, like double seventy nine is to degree. Uh, uh, but also be invoked is like the most unfair buff you can give a show. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's 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 a it's a ridiculous movie. Um, I love that interview where he's asked to give a rating on how how good he thinks be invoked is and tommy was like i don't know like a five out of ten i'm like bro uh you are your own worst critic (laughs) it's so funny uh Uh, like i think i do like i think bison well is like a really nice looking world too like i I remember when early on and but then i was thinking Damn, this show just looks really nice, and I feel like I didn't care as much once they got to like you know Earth, because uh, Earth is Earth. <laughs> I mean, no, Earth's not there... moon isn't a school of fish <laughs> in the sea that is the sky, unhinged. Fantasy uh, world, so good. I I fantasy worlds where it is just simply hugely colossally different like when you're making a fantasy world uh and it is fantastical to the degree where the fairy you bring to earth looks at the sun and goes what's that that's that's perfect (laughs) perfect anime it's uh sometimes instead of dedicated messengers you just have guys who run really fast yes yeah um not much of that on earth uh Han, right I, I was I, I tweeted about this Han Wan's fucking chilling back on Bison Well after everyone else goes to Earth <laughs> he's just um, hanging out he's just like I had a job now I don't seeing the like three princesses being like oh this is like a template for all the girls in Zeta and I guess any <laughs> Gundam girl in general really uh, mm, they they are mostly template they are mostly the templates for, uh, for the girls in Zeta there is one <laughs> <laughs> there is uh one girl uh in Zeta who does not have a well, she has a template, it's not in Dunbar and it's in Zabungle. <laughs> Which girl's that? Uh I can't, I can't say that because it kinda it kinda spoils the back half of Zabungle. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I feel like I knew the end there's like a lot of the deaths happening that feel kinda like I feel like echoing some of the sentiment on GTP, like, damn, some of these characters technically could have died earlier, and it would have, like, made things a bit tidier. Just because, mm-hmm. like, ba- basically all, everyone is still standing by, like, the last three episodes, and, uh, well, by the start of the last three episodes, I mean, uh, and, like, all the factions are still there, and it's like, you could have, like, trimmed, you could have, like, trimmed the cast a bit in the lead-up to not have so much, like, meandering around for 10 episodes and then just do everything in the last three and then like yeah and what that also does is that gives um the preceding episodes momentum right because it gives the it gives the sense of the losses because every week it's like oh we lost a lot oh we're really damaged it's like like, you're gonna get up and fight again this week (laughs) because like one of the one of the deaths that should have been impactful 
in this one gets undercut by the fact there's like <laughs> three other deaths within the same 10 minutes and it's like uh yeah uh, yeah like, you know I mean, what I guess Tomino... like go ahead like uh i mean do i even want to say well, i guess I, we don't have to spoil too much about the specific deaths but like like definitely some deaths stood out more than others in the finale and there are some deaths that should have stood out more but because there are more other deaths happening it just kind of like reduced it and he could have like mm-hmm. like he could have dealt with b-shot earlier to be honest it, it it could have uh the i mean once again i'm talking about victory victory victory's last 10 episodes is a parade of zanscare guys getting wiped <laughs> off the board um, and it's fantastic. I, I was gonna say, you know what? Other show does a pretty good job of balancing out the deaths right towards the end and making them cascade into one another in a very natural way. Double Zeta Gundam. Uh, <laughs> which deaths are we thinking about? This is not uh, the show I think about when I think of. Uh, I, I think of a man blowing himself up. Uh, oh, for his wife. Right. I, oh, I yeah. think of. Uh, loser insult man getting shot <laughs> yes. oh it's my God. it is uh, incredible parade of is so good uh, <laughs> uh, i mean i think the final death of double zeta is kind of underwhelming <laughs> kind of it sweet, is it, it is but the ones leading up to it pretty fucking good do you ever do you ever uh, just willingly cats yourself <laughs> i love how pathetic her death is <laughs> i i i realize i realize it's unpopular to uh to uh to not stan her, but um, I don't care. I have Katagina loose. I do not need her. <laughs> it just it just reminds me of the one video uh, on YouTube where someone has an AMV of Katagina. It's like the insanity of Katagina, and then the channel name is like All Hail Hamon Carnum, like buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you picked the wrong queen. Ah. <laughs> uh... Stan uh, also, you I know what? Say... I actually, I, I will also say too. I think the, uh, I wish we had more insect-based Max. Yes, I love Dunbine that, style. The Dunbine oh, so insect. Good. Like I'm, a, I like, a, I like bug motifs. So of course I like one. There's an Anscar suits, uh, but also the Dunbines. Uh, well, I mean the Aura Battlers, I should say. Uh, Dunbine is probably uh. <laughs> better than the Billbine. But also, I do kind of uh, like yeah. I do kind of like the yeah. Bilbine, uh, but I do feel like uh, maybe there's a hot take, but I think of the garish colors I originally have are better than the really plain colors it has in the last few episodes. They are the when when they switched to the really plain colors, and I was like, I I don't know that this was an improvement. <laughs> <laughs> like you could argue that like oh man, they only had it brightly colored because of toys, but also I don't know uh, it's more charming. You know what? Oh, you know what is an improvement though wrecking it and then jumping out of it with a sword <laughs> yes uh Sick. it's a shame that burn burnings is kind of kind of lame <laughs> i do wish he was cooler i yeah. i do i wish there's like he peaks with the like dragon ball like standoff where they make they make that hole in the sea <laughs> the, pro- the problem is um, that he's he's like he's like a jared but todd is also already the jared with all the personality traits that makes jared funny and then burn is just burn, like, yeah and, burn and also starts, burn starts like successful and respected in a way that doesn't like that doesn't work as much like if you're doing the jared thing it, it's 
it doesn't feel like it works as well yeah. from that angle of mine. I feel like, yeah. I feel like him, him falling him falling from grace is cool, and then him just going back to the same spot, but like in a mask, and everyone knows it's him, uh, is yeah. kind of ridiculous. And I don't know he's just, he's kind of boring. Todd Guinness, guy of all time, uh, classic man. Yeah. Uh, shout outs uh, to the uh, the uh, TSR writer back in the day when they had to make things for Spelljammer, who just shamelessly stole the Aura Battlers and named them Spirit Warriors. Oh, fan- yes, yes, I have heard of this. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, I am curious about other Bisonwell works, but also that feels like a bit cursed if you're looking at anime. I need to revisit. Uh, I need to revisit uh, Garzy's Wing. I actually, I own all of the DVD volume releases now of Wings of Reen. Uh, I should watch that. Yeah, I'm curious about Wings of Reen. I'm also, I know it's not Tomino technically, but like, I am curious about the uh, new Bistonwell OVA, whatever it's called. Uh, warning for anyone watching that. I think it's the third one of those. Uh, maybe one of the worst in terms of. M- strobing red and blue flashing lights like if if you have epilepsy okay. maybe don't watch those uh, uh for, that's for... coming from an ideon fan <laughs> yeah yeah no it it is like someone posted it on twitter one time that is like i don't have problems with these types of scenes usually this hurt my eyes and then i looked at it and i'm like jesus christ like i do not think that that would be able to air on tv today it is it is egregiously painful to look at and like i i would not feel comfortable showing that to anyone with epilepsy so fair warning if that uh is a uh thing for uh, you and you're listening mm-hmm. to this yeah the servine looks cool um also you know it it's less of a factor than i expect like it factors in less expected but it's kind of fun seeing denvine and comparing it to like escaflona and being like yeah i see the influence here mm-hmm. uh they the other does, the other oh go ahead I was just gonna say, like, Escafoni does seem like uh, Kawamori was like, yeah, I'm gonna do a Denbine thing, but Shoujo, which, you know, checks out. Go, you know, go for it. <laughs> go for uh, it. It's good. Escafoni is good. Uh, and the one connected tissue between the two, uh, one, the, there is, like, both do care about, like, the Earth as much as, like, the other world. Well, not as much, but, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. and two they aren't like uh <laughs> video game logic <laughs> fantasy worlds which is all yeah this is this this is the this is the other thing about dunvine is you know the fact is an isekai makes it better than if it was just uh normal right like like the isekai factors into the show in a way yeah. and i was i i could count on one hand shows that i can think of that are like that in fact i did that recently and then tweeted about tanya the evil and asked does any does anyone remember what the actual premise of tanya the evil is because i feel like no one does yeah like the, the thing i think like most modern isekai is like it's just what modern fantasy is like they they don't it's not enough to just be a fantasy it has to be like an isekai except like the isekai only really factors into like the, the escape the, fantasy yeah i guess like the, the prologue where like oh i got transported and now i'm just in the fantasy world and i guess i'm in mm-hmm. it uh and i guess i feel like other than like well because i got transported i get a cheat skill it doesn't matter that much you can get cheat skills from being a fantasy hero without getting transported there you can be a subaru and you can be cursed by a wizard like fuck off you don't yeah. need to be coming from the real world yeah uh 
Yeah. Uh, though yeah. maybe sometimes being from the real world does just let you be shot weapon in the world. Yes. Uh, I was just remembering, like, I didn't finish it. I didn't get around to finishing it. But, like, the one Isekai I brought up, of, like, way back at the start of the podcast, so with, like, the girl who gets sent back who's like in a fancy world and like doing tech i'm just like oh wait this is shot weapon as a lesbian girl <laughs> oh oh yes the um the one with the long title that you can't remember but yeah, all yeah. you need to know uh, is it's the it's it's the, ten, it's the seven, lesbian seven. one yeah yeah 10 10 i think is the short mm-hmm. one but yeah uh yeah i need to learn japanese for curse so i can just read by snowell books because that's the only way <laughs> Yeah, it is. Rip. It is like wild how much of Tomino's body of work is Bystonwell stuff when you actually look at it in mm-hmm. totality. It, it is. It's, it is. It's like as, as much as Gundam. Yes, exactly. And and he is just not known for that outside of Japan. And it's the. It's, you know. It's he. He likes writing books. I don't know if he's good at writing them, but he <laughs> likes writing books. So like, shout, uh, you know, sh- shout I, out to I feel to like. It's kind of his passion. Shout out to friend of the show, Lagrange Press, for translating Victory Gundam novels. Yeah, I will read those eventually. Same. Uh, uh, there, there are some heroes out there doing, doing God's work. Also, I'll share this in the group chat, but one of my uh, favorite uh, Jun Suemi pieces, who is a famous fantasy illustrator who worked on a lot of the Wizardry releases in Japan, uh, did this Dunline okay. piece that I adore. Oh. Oh shit. Oh, that's so sick. Oh, Yo. Yeah. Uh he also did a famous Sazabi uh marching photo or uh painting that uh is also sick as fuck. Let me see if I you can know what, find it. You know what is weird, but also I get it, is the fact that like it done by is the only by small thing that actually has Max, <laughs> apparently. Is the only what? The only is the only Bison Well thing that actually has Max in it, I think. Uh, I believe, having watched Garzy's Wing, I believe that's correct. Uh, I believe it was, if I've, if, I, this is extremely anecdotal evidence, this is, oh, this is such a sick Sazabi. That is really good. It's a tiny image, though, but <laughs> that's, yeah, that's cool. But, uh, I believe it was a, like a, image. a sponsor. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I believe it was, uh, sponsor's. Uh, saying oh but you know we need the toys put the put the put the robots in it you're the yeah. robot guy put the robots in the show tomino extremely guy who just was forcefully pigeonholed into doing mech anime until it's like well i guess this is all i can do now uh yeah i mean um yeah yeah uh i do i do like his robots is the problem yeah <laughs> same I do like it when he makes a, a show with with a robot in it. I think he's really good at it. I think he's one of the best at doing it. <laughs> Same. Um, there aren't many people who beat him. Uh, all right. Well, unless we have anything more to say about Don't uh, Buy. No. Oh, go ahead. No, oh, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you, what, were you going to... Oh, I was just, you know... Uh... Yeah, I also finished Seed Destiny this week. <laughs> oh, mm, do we have to talk about Seed Destiny? <laughs> I think we're good. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just say, uh, yeah, it's fucking bad. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's not it's not good. Uh the the oh, show man. the show's purported ideology and the events that happen on screen are continuously at odds. Uh, it's so funny. I ha I had an I had an argument with someone I can't remember where about um you know, they you know they were right and I was right, but we were arguing about it because about, you know, what the ending of Sea Destiny is because it's an incoherent anime. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is incoherent. And I remember, like, after I finished, we were talking in, like, the, the Discord server of GGP where it was talking about, like, how the show accidentally created a scenario where Lacus Klein CIA'd herself into being King Queen of Space. And if the show realized this and made it about that, it would be a lot more compelling. But <laughs> the show is incoherent and doesn't know what it's doing. Yeah. I, the... The magical, mystical ritual that I clearly performed to uh, manage to watch Sea Destiny while not having a miserable time uh, was to deliberately... I, mean, I figured this out because I've been like, why did I mostly just not have a hellish time when I watched this anime? I've been thinking about this for like 25 weeks. Uh, was one deliberately frame your put yourself in the in the shoes of i'm a seed fan and uh i'm you know seed fans hate seed destiny and i'm going to find <laughs> out why um and then um watch the show in like the space of a week um it, where the uh the degree the, the amount of stupid happening per minute is acceptable um uh and um for just like entertaining yourself at least uh, and th that was it because I was just like, I don't understand why seed fans hate it. Like specifically, yeah, <laughs> that's the bit that doesn't make sense. See, <laughs> the thing for me is that I feel like from the people I knew who liked seed, they also liked seed destiny. I feel like it's more a case from the people I've met and talked to is that the people that don't like seed really don't like destiny. <laughs> um, no, I have met people that thought that seed was fine, but seed destiny was egregious. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's weird to me. It's weird. Like, uh, I don't know. Like, what what the fuck is up with Moodle Flaga at all? Uh, <laughs> what? He's just he's just fine. He's Sh chilling. Sh Shin theoretically is a good protagonist that gets squandered because the show doesn't want him to be the protagonist and wants to say he's wrong, even though he's doing all the correct things. Uh, that's so funny. Uh, in other any other show, Durandal would actually be evil because of his beliefs but also the even though the show is like oh no he's evil the show also just vindicates his worldview all the time <laughs> uh absolutely egregious so to have in the final battle uh Durandal's like yeah you really are the ultimate coordinator Kiri Yamato and Kira was, Kira's like no I'm just a normal guy and it's like no shut the fuck up you literally <laughs> are the super genetic genius person you said the opposite reality. even in the final battle of the previous show <laughs> like, like uh, it's like I feel like you could make a good point about like that if it wasn't just the case that Kira Yamato was the ultimate genetic boy who bended yeah, reality you just, you know, you just, you know, when you get to the end of the show and naturally you have to create one, the Ubermensch, and two, the guy uh, from SMT Nocturne making the world of stillness to a person. <laughs> uh, I, I don't even know what the fuck was up with the final scene where 
the villain dies and why he dies, and then just <laughs> what this was going on in that scene. Uh, uh, uh yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I will say ten out of ten. Sure. I will say for the last like stretch of the show, I did kind of just like watch it to a week by at times three speed just to get through it, and I think a lot of it bounced off me, which feels like. A bad way to watch any show, but also uh, a good way res- to watch Seed Destiny. Yeah, do, do I respect there's... this show enough? Like, I'm only watching it because of GGP, and I like I can't. There's uh, no good. There's no good way to watch it. But see, um, also too, there's there's so many recaps that like. Yeah, it, it is funny. They had like half a recap based around beer in the last. <laughs> the, the, the last five episodes of the show. What are you doing here? What? Uh, the mirror stuff uh, sucks. It could have been cool, just like all the stuff with Shin, uh, but they did squander it as they are wont to do uh, by mm. being misogynist in all the worst ways. Uh, yeah. The only oh, well. good thing that Sea Destiny has contributed to my life is that if you have Luna Maria set to your um, your uh, comms person in Mbon, if you get a perfect, she says, holy cracker barrels, you did a good job. Uh, nice. I do like Luna Maria's casual outfits. That is the best thing in Sea Destiny. Uh, it is a shame. You don't like Mia's casual kid... outfits. Hmm? You don't like Mia's casual outfits. Um, not in the not in the HD version. <laughs> <laughs> uh, too many horny crimes in a HD version. Uh, why, why the fuck did Lacus hire the Black Tristars for her CIO? What the fuck? Yeah, she, yeah, she, she just they just hired her. She has, she has, one of them's she a woman now. mode in the last episode for no context. She's just <laughs> what the fuck? It just it just means that she's uh she understands uh the world probably. I don't know. It is so criminal that like the last scene of like the final OVA epilogue is just like Shin realizing Kira is the person who killed his parents and then they shake hands. What the fuck are they doing? <laughs> uh yeah well uh that's seed destiny folks you're not getting a spoiler warning for that you don't want to watch that anime yeah. this is <laughs> you're uh, good yeah uh it was a relief though it was weird like i watched i finished it and then like i felt this just feeling of emptiness uh as i was just like wow i really did go through that garbage uh, and then 30 minutes later, I was like, euphoric, because I was like, damn, I don't have to think about or touch Sea Destiny ever again. <laughs> I'm free. Yeah. Uh, and Except when it's funny. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I'm starting to think that Sea uh, Destiny was never real, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The classic. Sometimes you just have to pretend that something you don't like uh, is was an illusion, and so you don't have to think about it. It's very, It's very easy. Um, all right. Well, if that's, uh, if that's us done, we can talk about Ultraman. Um, yeah. So let me pull up, uh, Ultraman episode 31 is called Who Goes There? Um, the squad welcomes a returning member, Goto, who is 30 years old and has been working for the SSSP for 20 years, but that can't be right. He would have been 10 years old. Well, when he was 10, Goto travelled to Bolivia with his father who worked for the SSSP. His father died, and Goto was taken on by the Bolivian SSSP branch as an apprentice. Uh, well then, I guess everything is normal here and above board. 
Right. Uh, this also, uh, if we're going by the thing from the Jamil episode, this would also make sense because if the SSSP was established by Ishinotani, there had to have been some time that passed for him to, mm-hmm. for there to be an SSSP twenty years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if also, this took place right after Ultra Q, it would make sense. I mean, this show uh, apparently takes place in the nineties. For yeah. now. <laughs> for mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, also, don't forget, uh, Hoshino was a member of the SSP before going skiing he was an yeah he was they just hire kids it's fine it's normal yeah, yeah. paris okada yeah uh muramatsu attempts to light his pipe but goto stares intensely at the lighter and no flame is produced the same happens when fuji lights a match uh, when fuji escorts goto to his room he asks her what the building is made of and when she responds reinforced concrete he says no there is a secret alloy built into the walls. Once he is alone in his room, Goto injects himself with something and then takes out a wireless device and starts fiddling with it, making different patterns of lights shining on the top panel. So, uh, no, this guy is not normal. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> uh, the squad feels like this guy has to be suspicious, but they're not sure how. Uh, then Fuji mentions the secret alloy thing, and Muramatsu's like, oh, yo, call Bolivia HQ right now. Nobody should know about that. Um, but calls aren't going through. And the squad receives an urgent request. Strange, oversized plants have sprung up around Tokyo. Uh, the squad seek help from a guy called Dr. Uh, Ninomiya, uh, who suspects the plants to be Coronia, a vampiric walking plant uh, that there have been reports of in South America. Uh, Ninomiya says he learned so much about Coronia from a Dr. Goto. Wait, Goto? Back at base. <laughs> Back at base. Fuji sneaks into Goto's room and takes photos of the weird wireless device before she is suddenly attacked by Goto, Goto, who is totally a plant guy. He barges out of his closet, which is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. It was really funny. <laughs> uh, he looks so goofy. He, he is yes. in a suit. For yes, he's, he is, yeah. he's a big we broccoli, we, like lettuce man in a suit. <laughs> with, like, yeah, we don't guys. mean a monster suit. We mean he's both wearing like monster suit on his head, but like a real suit for a human being. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, he barges out of his closet, uses some eye beams on Fuji to knock her unconscious. Uh, unclear what happens to Fuji next. <laughs> she is fine at the end of the episode. I don't know where Goto puts her. Uh, she's just somewhere. Um, when the squad returns, they investigate Fuji's disappearance and search Goto's room. Arashi wonders how the wireless device is powered, and Goto says, it's a work in progress, and don't ask questions, as he closes the suitcase that Ide is searching. <laughs> uh, it, it, the least suspicious man in the world. Um, Arashi and Ide escort Goto out to ask him some questions, while Hayata has a better look through the suitcase, and finds a box full of moving plant matter. Um, he takes a sample to Ninomiya. Uh, Ninomiya is left alone to run tests and finds that this is indeed Coronia. At this moment, Goto steps into the lab and turns into his plant form and hits Ninomiya with the eye beams. Hayata shows up and chases Goto. Goto turns big and begins wrecking shit while a fleet, a fleet of planes, flown by plant guys, appears out of nowhere this into the plot. escalates... <laughs> very fast it goes from there's a secret plant thing to oh there was a secret plant or uh civilization and they're attacking right now (laughs) goto says the plant people have become an advanced civilization in secret (laughs) 
nonsense. I'm like, okay. And will replace the proud mankind as the dominant species of Earth. Hayata runs such a long way to get out of Arashi's line of sight so that he can transform <laughs> while Arashi's calling for him. Uh, and he Ultraman bursts out from the middle of a building, well, which is very cool. Uh, the rest of the squad engage the planes in the VTOL, but will run out of ammo before they run out of enemies to shoot down. Ultraman bests Goto and kills him with a brand new attack that, unclear what this one does, extremely made up. Yeah, I was um, just like, uh, he, he kills him with something. It's just another beam. It's not the Stasium beam, yeah. it's something. <laughs> uh, anyway, Ultraman then uses the Spacium beam, the real shit, uh, to shoot down the rest of the invading planes. Um, job done. Back at base, Fuji is alive and well, and the squad figures out the wireless device was for communicating with the plant army, and it could be powered because the plant people generate electricity within themselves. Uh, sure. Arashi says he's managed to burn all the fledgling plants around Tokyo, and Muramatsu reveals himself to be uh, Mr. Fantastic with this next reach. Uh, if the plants are weak to fire, then the reason my lighter wasn't working is because the adult plants have the power to telepathically put out fires. Everyone is like, ah, oh, that's so <laughs> 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 scientists here. <laughs> Mystery solved. The end. What the fuck? <laughs> um, that was... So, that was such a funny way to end the episode because it felt like someone somewhere was like, oh, fuck, we forgot to write. Oh, we shit, forgot about right the fire. At the end. Just put it right at the end. <laughs> um, Go ahead. I was just, I was just thinking that like, this is like two episodes stapled together somehow. Uh, I, I do. So while I do think it's funny that they call these enemies the botanical humans, and I think that that's a good evocative name. Oh, is that uh, what they call them in the Blu-ray? That's so sick. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I think the design sucks. Yeah. Not a it fan. Does. Uh, and I did not think the story was particularly great for this episode. This is kind of one of the more mediocre ones that we've seen, in my opinion. Yeah. I like, love this episode because it's a shoddy piece of shit. <laughs> so stupid like and it's like it feels like it's it's like two variations of things we've seen before stapled together mm -hmm. like we've seen the infiltration thing before yeah arguably with the plant monster even uh <laughs> and then we have had the bolton fleet so yes this is um rehashing old territory uh but was yeah. for some reason. Also, it is funny that like the gang is like, "Oh man, a vampire plant? That's crazy!" As if Duran didn't happen in Ultra Q. Yeah, we uh, we've had weird plants. Yeah, like the show has established uh, and will again uh, that Ultra Q has happened, and so it does feel weird to be like, "Oh man, uh, we have never found a plant that sucks blood." ever yeah it's um it's very funny that every week everyone at the sssp forgets that they exist in ultraman and thinks that they exist in the real world um but the i it's you know we've had a couple of episodes now where like you say it has felt like 
more than one episode just like very hastily rammed together. Like the bus episode from last week was not a bus episode. It was not about the weird incidents where buses are falling off roads. It was not about that suspicious woman turning out to be suspicious. She was just normal. She was just on her way to a different episode. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, the episode was about Dados. Happy Father's Day, everyone. <laughs> yeah, Happy Father's Day. Um, and uh, the um, the this episode has that and it's like i don't i don't know what's going on uh on the production side of things here it's very strange um but the the fact of the matter is it was terrible and i really loved it i had a great time (laughs) uh here's hoping that all future bad alternate stuff is on this level and not see destiny level hmm yeah. Uh, we can only hope. I uh, I can't imagine a world where we get the Ultraman equivalent to whatever the fuck Sea Destiny is, uh, and I hope we never get to it. I'm curious if we ever... I'm, I'm curious how far Ultraman attempts to reach in terms of having capital T themes. I like assume beyond... far at some point. It, it's gotta. It's, it's run on long enough that I'm sure there's gotta be at least one. Mm-hmm. That does. Yeah, I feel like there. I feel like there's going to be attempts at themes uh, in general. Like even like, I feel like there. I mean, there t- there's attempts to themes in this show. <laughs> attempts, I say. Yeah, like we already uh, have foundations. Yeah, for, yeah, yeah. For that uh, stuff, and like, I guess we'll see how that evolves as the franchise goes. Uh, mm-hmm. Especially because hey, it, it's a long one. They're they're gonna question their legacy at some point as all yeah forever franchises do i can't wait for um the original ultraman uh to be brought before the hague um <laughs> face to face trial for his crimes against the boltons when we get to post 9-11 ultraman uh don't say the that. real shit <laughs> the first the first post 9-11 ultraman i think it's ultraman cosmos is that one that people like? Uh, it's the longest one. I think it's well liked. It's the longest think... one. Yeah, it's like oh. sixty episodes. Oh, yeah. okay. That's a weird length. It's for it's TV more than show. six episodes, but yeah, it's it's weird for how long it is. Uh, okay. But yeah, uh, I think people like it. I don't know if it's like the most popular one, but it is like. Liked. All right. It's in that it's in that Heisei mm-hmm. early Heisei era where they're just being weird with whatever Ultraman is. Uh. But it's it's one of the ones I haven't seen, so you know. Mm-hmm. We don't All we right. don't want to talk about this episode anymore. I can tell. <laughs> no, no, no! I don't have anything more to say because it's it's a it's a lot it's a lot of just goofy shit. Um, uh, it was directed by Yuzo Higuchi and written under his pen name Taro Kaido. Uh, the same thing happened with the poison gas monster episode, and he also uh, did the uh, Wu episode from Last Batch as well. I uh, and the Terror on Route eighty seven episode. I feel like the thing I remember from the poison gas episode is the birds and nothing else. Same. The bird. The birds are the most important bit. Uh, <laughs> uh, Fuji getting robbed of any agency is uh, Hoshino solves the problem. Yeah, that's that one too. It's 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 so funny how they ruined Fuji's character to make Hoshino more of a character, and he just stops being in the show. And then he, yeah, he went skiing. <laughs> um, we have yeah, 
Damn. It sucks to be Fuji. Do, do we anyway. have a color timer for this episode? We're doing that at the end. Oh, we do them at the end of the... Yeah, we do them at the oh, end. Oh, shit, that's right. You forgot You forgot the format. Foiled! I For, forgot the format. Foiled by the format. Damn. All right. Episode 32 is called The Endless Counterattack. Um, the squad are currently meeting. Uh, meeting? Competing. My phone. I swear to fucking God. I mean, the you gotta meet are... to compete. Yeah, you gotta meet to compete. Yeah, it's the called the track currently... for a reason. It's fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> the squad are currently meeting. I said it. The squad are currently competing for the opportunity to escort Patty from the Indian SSSP branch. Uh, she's on vacation in Japan and could use a guide while she's here. Uh, Hayata bundles four sticks and says that one of them has a star on the bottom. Whoever gets the star wins. Uh, and Fuji picks first, no star. Um, Ide picks next, no star. Arashi picks next and fumbles the 50-50, no star. Hayata wins by default and walks out the door, handing the last stick to Arashi as he goes. On closer inspection, none of the sticks have a star on them. Muramatsu, who has been sitting in the corner this whole time, starts laughing and yells, owned. Um, <laughs> This is the most, like, high schooler yeah. shit. It's like, I'm happy these are the people protecting us from the evil monsters. <laughs> it's, it's so uh, funny. I'm glad um, that, uh, I feel like this is the most personality we've gone out of Haida at all. Yeah, yeah actually, is, actually, is, you're not wrong. This is this is my notes on the next bit as well. Hayata and Patia out seeing the sights and get caught in a loop of offering prayers to a statue where Hayata is done, but raises his head, but sees Patia still praying and dips his head again. And then Patty does the exact same thing. <laughs> what happened? Why is Hayata cute this episode? What what's going on? Uh, <laughs> um, very strange. Anyway. Mysterious, seemingly spontaneous fires break out, and Ide and Arashi launch the VTOL to put them out. Uh, Hayata and Patti are called in to help, uh, so much for the vacation. Ide and Arashi put out the fires, and Hayata and Patti find that a nearby river is boiling. Uh, could a spring have opened? Uh, they get hit by an earthquake and have to go to great lengths to get the car moving again. Uh, more fires at Oniyama. Um, Hayata and Patti are on the scene. And Patty reports back to HQ that she sees a kaiju. Time to go into action for real. Uh, the squad heads out in the VTOL while Hayata and Patty shoot Zanbola, the flame monster, from the ground. Uh, Zanbola fights back and Patty is knocked unconscious. Hayata escapes with the unconscious Patty in the car. And when she comes around, he urges her to return to HQ while he stays to uh, keep an eye on Zanbola. <laughs> I, I just want to say that like having someone who is like slipping in and out of consciousness to drive themselves to HQ is not very smart <laughs> yeah normal just fine um, Hayata uh, Hayata then once again runs such a long way uh, I, I think to, go favorite, transpo- to go transform I think it's my favorite yeah. bit of recent episodes where it's just like egregiously running yeah. super far away <laughs> it's like what are you doing <laughs> yes. like it's he looks around for cover, goes, oh, there's no cover. I just have to run a really long way away. <laughs> it's so good. It's very good. Um, but having run a really long way away, up some steps, um, he uh, gets ready to hit the button, and Patty arrives behind him and says, I'm in the SSSP too. Um, she won't abandon him, uh, which is a problem. Uh, now, I'm going to say here, that all of the action so far that I've described is interspersed with 
very extended like padded scenes of like the VTOL attacking Zambola, SDF tanks driving through the forest and then getting owned by Zambola's fire. Uh, a lot of padding. I say this. Someone now. really wanted to show off their miniature model tank collection yes. this episode. Yes. They were uh, so it's... fucking proud they painted those minis. <laughs> it's a, you know, special effects fantasy show. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I say this now because I want to re- I want to add this gap here between Patty saying that I'm the SS- in the SSSP too because I want to replicate the fakest tension in the world as we cut away from Patty saying she's going to stick with Hayata and now he can't transform and then we cut back and she has fainted again. <laughs> and Hayata wakes her up and is like, you really got to see a doctor. You got to please just leave. Uh, and she just does. She just leaves. Um, I'd say they ran out of episode, but they clearly did not. Those tanks drive through the forest for a fucking age. Um, anyway, Hayata transforms. Ultraman kills Zambala. He briefly has problems once again with the tail. He hates tail attacks so much. He, I think he thinks it's cheating. He's like every, every <laughs> time. He, yeah, it's, it's a problem. The, the sun was in his eyes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, the squad returns home, and they note it's sad that Tokyo's intrusion on nature has created pitiable monsters that they definitely, always, 100% have to kill. Um, every time. Uh, Fuji says it'll be nice for Patty to get back to her vacation. And Patty says she's already checked off the three biggest tourist attractions in Japan. Earthquakes, Kaiju, and Ultraman. The end. <laughs> uh, that was a fantastic closer. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, this, like I said, a lot of padding this episode, but yeah. it's fine. It's it, called her. Uh, it's alright. Patty but... instead of Patty. That was terrible. Yeah, that was terrible. I I also <laughs> I also had the similar reaction of the last like few episodes. I feel with like like we we noted this too with the. Uh, the other tail, the the roly poly fucking dinosaur like dragon Gamora. thing mm-hmm. with the underground, no, um, the gold gold or whatever gold on gold don gold on like that yeah there, it's there, golden it's, but with an O. There, it feels like they're stretching for a lot of these now, which is weird because the rest of the show has not been like this. I feel um, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> uh, mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I I mean they it could just be that they're just fucking running out because like it's expensive and it is it's, it's a lot of work i think the light up effect on the monster with like the little red lights with that are within the suit shine like shining through looks really cool mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um i think the monster design overall is pretty neat and the the fight's all right i guess uh but yeah just a lot of a lot of filler this episode uh, compared to actual like stuff of substance Mm-hmm. I liked it more than the last one. I'll give it that. Yeah. Um, they did immediately, in like, brought in New Woman, immediately had her start fainting. It was very funny. Yeah, I um, will say, uh, it sure is nice to hire an actual South Asian actress to play a South Asian role. Imagine if you did that for the Middle Eastern episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, hmm. it's, uh, it, it wouldn't be 
it wouldn't be a 60s show without some just like incredible racism um so yeah i don't really have much else to say about this episode kind of unremarkable um is there anything so is there anything remarkable on the production side of this because i know you oh, have Jesus teased that there Christ. is something <laughs> and it wasn't was this the episode. one the uh, the notes for uh yes um okay so this was directed by a newcomer uh toshitsugu suzuki Okay. Um, he got his start in the industry as an actor after dropping out of university. He appeared in minor roles across many movies. Uh, notably, I saw he was in the first two Godzilla movies and then also Rodan. Uh, like he's, I think in the first Godzilla, he's one of the newspaper room dudes. Okay. Um, like just, that's the whole thing throughout his acting career is he is correspondent, uh, he, guy in the background, fisherman, mm-hmm. all, all of that stuff. Never really got to break through into being a starring role. Um, his career kind of started to fall apart after a few years just because he, he couldn't really find big roles. He only got minor work. Uh, fortunately, though, because he had been involved with so many different movies and TV shows and stuff, he did have connections in the industry, uh, including a professional relationship with the assistant director of Godzilla Raids Again, uh, A.G. Iwaki. Uh, this will be the first of many side tangents I go on in our production history for this batch of episodes. So, oh here's my A.G. Iwaki side tangent. Iwaki was a kamikaze pilot in World War II. Oh, Obviously, he did not go out. <laughs> wasn't very... Yeah. <laughs> um, it is my suspicion, reading what little information is available about this man, this might be the guy... That is part of the reason why there is so much focus on aerial combat and dogfighting in that movie and possibly the broader kaiju genre as a whole. Oh, okay. I know that also, I think it was the dude involved with the walrus episode of Ultra Q was a big plane guy too. Yes. Yes. So there's a lot of... Also also remember that is a uh japanese pilot uh who does do uh, a suicide run on pegula yes in so, so a the lot inf- of influences here yes there there is a lot of a lot of people involved with like world war ii like japanese aerial uh combat working on kaiju stuff which is fucking weird but you know <laughs> i mean <laughs> it, I it guess, influence i guess considering ag Subarai's past career we can't Yes, that's yeah. true. Uh, yes, this, uh, this is tw- this is something that happened twenty years earlier. So it is, it's going to be uh, extending its tendrils across a lot of people's careers, probably. Mm-hmm. True, um, and you know, it was it was an honest to god total war. People, you know, people's lives are going to be involved. Yeah, um, I mean, the, the I yeah, I was just that was a uh, that was a, a wild jump from um, yeah the who that guy is uh back to uh so that's enough about ag ikawa the assistant director on godzilla raids again which again i cannot reiterate enough boring fucking movie um (laughs) if you want to if you want to see osaka get destroyed go see erica more episodes (laughs) (laughs) um 
So uh, back to uh, our our uh, friend here, Toshitsugu uh, Suzuki, episode director. Um, Suzuki then found success working as an assistant director. Uh, so you know, credit where credits due. Uh, Iwaki did help this guy out after his career kind of fell apart in acting. Um, so he was back on his feet. He eventually befriended uh, someone else who we've talked about, uh, Kazuho Mitsuda. Um, who is a director that we discussed before, and I forgot to write down what exactly he worked on, but let me flip through the books until I see his name. Um, he worked on Ultraman early on, doing the... Uh, oh, yes, he did The Rascal from Outer Space. How could we forget? Oh, um, Oh, that rascal. also, yes, uh, that's actually the only credit he seems to have in Ultraman, but then he also did some Ultra Q stuff, which, again, I'm going to quickly flip through. Uh, yes, Blazing Glory. Yes, that is it. So, oh, um, shit. This is, this is, okay, this this reminds me. So, if you remember, um, this is the guy who did the weird alien episode with the sea monster because Hajime Tsuburaya was busy that day. Or, like, there was a logistics thing, and they're like, oh, fuck, we need one of the assistant director people to just actually direct okay, the so episode. Okay, so he did the Bostang oh, episode. the episode. Yeah, the, the Bostang one. episode. Yeah, Bostang, Bostang, not Barang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. an SMT demon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, real mythological creature. But um, he did the Bostang episode, and if you remember, because he did such great work in those circumstances, they invited him on to come up with the initial Ultraman premise. And he, he um, just did the the alien um, the, the Among Us. Yes, is, he, is he, he kind of revisited that idea for the creation of Ultraman. So you're telling me he's the father mm-hmm. of Bemular? Yeah, uh, apparently, uh, at least the the vague concept of Bemular. <laughs> so, uh, history is like poetry; it rhymes, as George Lucas famously said. Um, mm-hmm. Similar to how Mitsuda became more prominently involved in the original concept for Ultraman. Um, Suzuki's work on, uh, going from assistant director on Ultra stuff to actual director, uh, impressed Eiji Tsuburaya so much that, uh, they then asked him to take on a larger role with developing the concept for Ultra 7. Oh, Oh, okay. So there, there is a recurring thing throughout at least these three shows of assistant directors being forced because of the conditions to step up, take on larger actual directorial work. I don't want to say actual, that sounds bad. Assistant directing work is real directing work, but, you know, more prominent primary directorial work, um, mm-hmm. which I can only imagine is a lot more stressful and hard to do and all that. Um, and and their their work being recognized and then being asked to work on the next thing from the get-go as part of the planning stages. Which is honestly pretty cool to see. Like, they're recognizing the talent that they have and the hard work these people are putting in. Yeah. Um, Suzuki was known for being kind and easy to work with. Even when he had narrative disagreements with the screenwriter that he was working on for the episode... He would never push to make changes or go off script while fi- filming. Uh, no names were named, but apparently some of the other Ultra Series episode directors would make changes while directing if they had disagreements with the I, script. I am wondering if Hajime Tsuburaya did this, because he yeah, did make a point of mentioning before how he, even with people he got along with well, would make like you know his own uh, criticism or changes, I guess, input. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I would not be surprised if that's the case. Especially because he is um, <laughs> the chosen heir. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. He's uh, a ne- ne- Nepo baby tyrant. 
<laughs> it's hard to say no to Hajime Tsuburaya. Um, so, yeah, he would never make changes, but he would voice his opinion. He would be like, hey, I don't agree with this. Um, I didn't look too much into it because, obviously, spoilers. There is apparently an ending to an Ultra 7 episode that he very heavily disagreed with, but he, he directed it anyways. Okay. Um, we will find out about it in the future. Yes. Two um, more weeks of Ultraman, by the way. <laughs> uh, another mm. fun side tangent to go on. Uh, this is another anecdote about Suzuki being incredibly kind. Do you all remember from the train episode of Ultra Q, the kid that was involved with that, who was like the shoe like cleaner kid? I did uh, the shoe shine. For a second, I was thinking snuck of the, train, the train. But yes, yes. The, oh, the M one. M one. M one. Sorry. Yes. When you said train episode. Yeah. Oh yes. I, there are two. Also, there are two <laughs> train episodes. Yeah, I also thought. That. Um. No, the the M1 episode, the the kid okay. who is doing the shoe shining stuff and then sneaks onto the train, all that stuff. So mm-hmm. that child actor is more important than any of us realized. His name is Tetsuo Yamamura. Um, he apparently that was his first time working on a Tokusatsu thing. Uh, he fell in love with particular the the train model that they made for that episode and the design of the M1 suit. Uh, and he did just, they give uh, him the model? I don't know. Okay, I but. It was important enough to him that he decided this is what he wants to do for the rest of his life. He would be involved as both a child actor and eventually a suit actor on later Ultra productions, including Ultraman. Yo, Um, that's sick. Apparently, at some point during the filming of one of the series, no one can apparently agree on which one, but there is a point where he had an argument... Um, some say creative differences, some just say it was, like, a more broader, like, general argument with the production staff, and apparently Suzuki was the one who called him personally, and they settled, they, they sorted it out, and, uh, Tetsuo Yamamura came back on, but he threatened to walk until he talked him down. Um, and that's what I have on the director for this episode. Overall seems like a, uh, cool, hardworking dude that, uh, eventually, his... His vision of Ultra stuff is going to be more integral to uh, what Ultra 7 would be. Um, Okay. uh, He also, I should say, he directed the next episode as well. (laughs) Okay. So, maybe not this one so much, but the next episode we'll talk about, I'm sure some of his influence will... Some some of the next episode we'll we'll probably see flavor of in Ultra 7, I have to guess. That's... yes. Perfect. Um, (laughs) Now, the writer for this is uh uh case uh yeah Keisuke, uh fujikawa who also wrote let me double check he wrote some other ultraman episodes as well such as uh the undersea science center the episode where fuji gets to be cool oh um, that's a cool episode please come back and also the passport cool to fuji, infinity please return the passport to infinity which one's the passport to infinity weird reality warping heart Oh, yeah, fuck. Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. Okay, so this guy's uh, a good writer. Uh, hey, let's let's add even more to that praise, because he also wrote Cry of the Mummy. <laughs> oh. Oh, man. Uh, and also The Secret of Miraganda, the first plant monster that Ultraman Oh, plays. yes. Perfect. Um, yeah. So, yeah, good, good writer. Um, holy shit, did I... You will not believe where this one goes. So... He is a veteran of Japanese fiction writing. Uh, He is well known as a member of the Japan Writers Association, the Japan Screenwriters Association, and the Japan Pen Club. All of these are special interest groups dedicated to supporting writers, their craft, and uh, their um, treatment in various industries. 
His career can be broken down into three major eras. In the 60s to the mid-70s, Fujikawa primarily worked on live-action TV and tokusatsu. In the later half of the 70s to the early part of the 80s, he worked on anime. And from the mid-80s on, he primarily wrote novels. Um, he started as the son of a successful soba restaurant owner and had dreamed of becoming a professional writer ever since he was in uh, high school. He attended Keio University, where he joined the Broadcasting Research Group and achieved notoriety there after he won the Best Screenplay Award from the uh, from the uh, Kanto Radio Drama All Japan Contest three years in a row. What the fuck? <laughs> nice. Um, we are about to go on a very long tangent to talking about another guy uh, who we should have talked about in Ultra Q, but uh, I do not blame us for not knowing about because I had to... It was a real sidewinder discovering this man. So it was at the Broadcasting Research Group where uh, Fujikawa met uh, uh, Shoji Otomo. Shoji Otomo is a very important figure in the Japanese science fiction landscape, and he has uh, often been referred to in modern retrospectives as the first otaku. Whew, it is here where I discovered Mr. Otomo technically has a co-writer credit on an episode of Ultra Q. Sometimes okay. he is not credited on that episode of Ultra Q. I have suspicions why that is. We will we will discover why. Um, if you're wondering which episode of Ultra Q, it is the Ragon episode. Okay. Um, okay. Specifically, this credit is often left out of English versions of credits for the episode, including uh, the booklet. I have it right here. He is not credited in the booklet as a co-writer um, of that episode at all. Uh Hiroyasu Yama, uh, Yamaura and Samaji Nonagase are listed, but not our uh, our frontier Shoji Otomo. Now, why is that? Um, it's a whole story. Okay. So, okay. this is the point where I decide to investigate further, because I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? We're going to put a pin in Mr. Fujikawa so I can talk about this guy. Oh my god, the tension. Okay. <laughs> Shoji Otomo was a Japanese magazine writer, editor, translator, film critic, and science fiction enthusiast, uh, among many other things. Despite not creating much in terms of his own fiction outside of some do like doujinshi that seems to be hard to find and rare and like never really took off, his enthusiasm for science fiction work and his willingness to promote the genre and take it seriously, despite much of it being made for children, helped create the the shape of fandom to come for science fiction in Japan. This guy was the original fucking, like, YouTuber slash, like, fan wiki guy. <laughs> is, it was my takeaway from learning about him. Um, as tokusatsu and anime took off in Japan, Otomo had a front row seat due to his heavy involvement in the magazine industry. He played an influential role in highlighting the merits of these programs and their storytelling, and played an important role in introducing uh, Western fiction in many of its forms to the Japanese public, Two notes in particular um, I saw is that he rose uh, awareness of the work of Edgar Allan Poe in Japan and is often credited for writing the very first Japanese article breaking down what Star Trek was. Damn. Um, Damn. He grew up in Mexico, and he has stated that his experience encountering the Aztec pyramids, statues, and ruins led to him falling in love with what he called quote-unquote the weird and heretical things of the world. Um, like, just him him encountering these these ruins as a child, like, altered his life and his worldview in a way that 
inspired him to get into exploring like things like science fiction. It, it felt otherworldly to him as a young Japanese boy in Mexico. Um, there's a lot of blank space here, but the, the TLDR is that he was back in Japan by the time World War II erupted. Um, apparently somewhere around there, he had to evacuate his hometown because it was on fire. Uh, later went on after the war to attend Keio University, where he was, again, involved with many creative groups, such as the, uh, radio drama, like, broadcasting thing that, uh, the writer for this Ultra Man episode was involved in. Um, but in particular, he, he mostly was known for being a part of the Mystery Novel Club. A fellow student who was also part of the club later noted that Otomo didn't actually care all that much about mystery novels, but he liked the company, and he felt a kindred spirit with fans of mystery and horror genre, um, and, and he felt that there was some overlap between his love of science fiction and quote-unquote heretical things with the type of people that were drawn to mystery and horror fiction. This uh, which, which I can kind of get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can... can... Can a Metroid girl and a Castlevania girl <laughs> <laughs> um, It was at this time that he started to develop a reputation for being a bit of a gossip. Uh, he knew a shocking amount about all of the student writers' personal ongoings, and people have stated this was probably where he developed the skills and connections that he needed to do well in like the press and magazine industry. <laughs> he was a nosy motherfucker. <laughs> Um, oh no, this guy's a dirtbag. Okay. <laughs> After graduating, he hit the ground sprinting. He started writing a wide variety of columns for a ton of magazines, would regularly do interviews with influential uh, figures like movie makers, actors, things like that, made a ton of industry connections. Everyone knew who this dude was. Uh, he also became incredibly wealthy due to a series of good stock investments. Um, the way that... Fuck off. <laughs> Sorry. The way Continue. that this was phrased made it... I don't know entirely because also, too, there's a, a, a little... Uh, keep in mind, with everything I'm saying with all these recaps, there's a bit of a language gap here. I am trusting a lot on, like, deep L translation stuff to to give you this information. A lot of this could be dubious. But the way that it was phrased every time I looked at something, it sounded like he just got really fucking lucky on the stock market. Like, it wasn't actually, like him making specific calls it just seemed like it was a lot of like oh he picked the right ones um he also apparently bought a house that was close to an uh close to an airport and he decided you know there's a lot of flight attendants that like need to stay somewhere overnight between their flights so he converted part of his house to an apartment and it was popular with flight attendants to just rent out that part of his house oh okay and pay he him was to stay the original the airbnb owner kind of yeah uh, this dude was involved with a lot of just little random weird things that made him a lot of money. Um, so he, he made waves in the science fiction scene at the time. Everyone knew who this dude was. So much so that when Subaraya Productions was creating a little known show called Unbalance, which we all know went on to become Ultra Q, he was invited on for the planning stages, as well as the planning stages for several other later Ultra series. Uh, I, I know he was involved at least through Ultra 7, I think also maybe a few more after that, I don't entirely know. Um, but he is the one credited for specifically establishing certain series concepts, such as... <clears throat> Ultraman's 3-Minute Color Timer. <laughs> okay. That's so funny. <laughs> 
Oh my god. Um, yeah, again, he has a writing credit some places on episode 20 of Ultra Q, but then, like, nobody ever goes into what exactly he contributed or, or how that happened. It's very vague, entirely why he was involved with that one in particular. Um, it appears that he would often write and publish lore elements about the Ultra series without consulting other Ultra series creators, but then these ideas would be so popular or just so widespread that they would later be adopted into the official setting notes after the fact anyways, uh, including, like, the three-minute color timer thing. Um, this is ridiculous. This is how you get... This whole anime, this whole anime magazine and, like, the, this whole magazine scene is where you get, like, a lot of the extremely fake anecdotes about um, about Gundam stuff that Gundam fans are always reciting. So, like, <laughs> this is... Learning that this guy just kind of, just kind of, like, was posting shit, and, like, if it got popular, it was like, well, yeah, I guess it's real now, <laughs> is, like, absolutely classic these magazines. <laughs> so... This divide, in particular, would prove to be disastrous for everyone involved. Um, Otomo would go on to collaborate with a wide variety of illustrators to create what he called Illustrated Kaiju Guides. These first were published in a variety of magazines. They became so popular that eventually they started to compile them and make books. And then also, I think eventually they just moved on to when they made new ones, they just made them right away as books. Otomo used his connection to the Ultra series officially and, and his involvement creating at least the, the planning and conceptual stuff along with Tsuburaya Productions to add credibility to the works that he published, even though they were not technically officially sanctioned. Um, they received an even bigger boost in popularity when the, the eventual Emperor of Japan, uh, Naruhito, would be what? seen buying one. <laughs> what? As a child. <laughs> what? Emperor, yes. Emperor Heisei Kaiju fan. Oh my god. What um, the fuck? Someone, I have also seen, like, I guess there's, I don't know exactly how this works, but I guess that there is, like, a big imperial, like, library in Japan, mm -hmm. like, of, of, like, the Emperor's books and stuff, and people have, like, s since speculated, like, that illustrated kaiju guide is probably in there. <laughs> Oh my god. Um, Otomo's enthusiasm for the tokusatsu genre led to him being called the Doctor of Kaiju, which is also sometimes ka uh, I've seen translated as either Mr. Kaiju or Dr. Kaiju. So what? So Man. all I'm hearing is that he is the real life Ichinotani. <laughs> the real life Ichinotani. <laughs> Basically. Oh man. Um, also too, so we have talked several times, I want to say on the podcast, or at least... Looking this up, I'm sure we've all seen that during the, the period where Ultra Q, Ultraman, Ultra 7 are airing, kind of known as the kaiju boom in Japan. Yeah. Uh, kaiju are back. They're po more popular than ever. This, this was a whole thing for, like, the late 60s, early 70s. His work promoting the genre is heavily attributed to why that was the case. Um, the, the magazine culture that he helped uh, create was a large factor in why kaiju got so popular at this it time. It does it does make me curious to like actually when we eventually get to it, uh just seeing the Godzilla films that are contemporaneous to Ultraman existing. 
Yes. Um, I, I'm now realizing that I have done a poor job in this little summary that I wrote up to discuss what these ki illustrated kaiju guides are, but I do have a photo that I'm going to send to the group chat, and we should probably include the episode. They look like this. They're like anatomy breakdowns and, like, what the fuck? lore details what of the all fuck? the monsters. What the fuck is this? Oh my god. First of all, this is the fakest shit in the world. Yeah. <laughs> so, Red, remember last episode when we were talking about, like, the Star Wars visual encyclopedia and, like, there's yes, stuff like that for Thunderbirds? Yes. That's exactly what this is. First of all, what now, the fuck is that in the far left? That looks hideous. Oh my goodness. I think that's Garamon. No. I don't know. Maybe it's not. No, I don't think it is. Uh, can I... I can't read that right I, now. I have no idea what that's supposed to be. Uh, I hope we never find out, to be honest. <laughs> uh, seeing Kanagon's innards feels like a war crime, by the way. <laughs> so uh, I just wanted... <laughs> as a child... <laughs> do, yeah do yeah the, the canagon's innards are a child <laughs> um yeah, two, so two, two out of two out of four of these are just people who became kaiju <laughs> like but jamila is also <laughs> in this picture just saying so you know. yeah um so hajime subaraya fucking hated these books <laughs> he believed i can imagine <laughs> i can fucking imagine <laughs> He believed that revealing the anatomy of these monsters in specific detail took away from the imagination of the work and... Okay, well, that's made not it... a normal reason to hate <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's such a... Okay, continue. Sorry, I didn't mean to he, No, no. It, it, it is, honestly, it is pretty funny. He thought that it took away from the dreams of children because... He wanted them to seem more mysterious, and when you... when you th This is the horror movie thing. When you explain how everything works in excruciating detail the mystery the fun the 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 dreamlike quality of it all starts mm -hmm. to fade yeah, away because this and isn't a horror guy that... this is a science fiction guy <laughs> yes and yes, and he true. wanted the the illusion to to be prevalent still he didn't want things explained he wanted it to be up to the kids to imagine what was going on with these creatures um this led to a massive argument that ended with Otomo being banned from entering the premises of Subaraya Productions oh. and ruined their relationship. Oh, damn. Um, later on in life, they apparently both mutually felt kind of bad about how this all went down. Um, you know, as much as Hajime Subaraya did fucking hate this guy and what he did, he also did make the Ultra series very popular with what he was doing <laughs> um, and made these monsters very iconic. Like, he... he as much as there is a, a difference of creative vision here, like, Otomo couldn't have done what he had done without Hajime Tsuburaya's creations, and Tsuburaya's creations were made more popular by the, like, half-fan, half-official work that this guy was doing in his magazines. No, Hajime, uh, don't let him back in. I guess, I'm a hater. I'm a <laughs> I, guess, I, guess, I guess a Metroid girl and a Castlevania girl can't make it work. Good well, they sure as fuck tried, because later on in life, they, they both attempted to reconcile their relationship um, by collaborating on what was going to be an illustrated biography celebrating Eiji uh, Tsuburaya's life and work after he had passed. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, Otomo was a huge Eiji Tsuburaya fan, uh, and Hajime Tsuburaya loved his father, and they both said, hey, let's bury the hatchet, let's work on... Let's work together on creating this illustrated biography of a guy who we both really respect and have a mutual love for. Unfortunately, it would not come to be. Otomo suffered from health issues all of his life, and at least from my opinion, looking at this guy 
was known for being a work fiend and even saying, like, oh, I think a lot of other people, like, are lazy in terms of just, like, well, you always got to be doing something. Oh, okay. Like, th- he <laughs> was see. that type of okay, person. Okay, so it does make sense he'd get rich on the stocks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he, he was that, uh, he was that, he was that OG Sigma grind set uh, guy. <laughs> um, uh, he he it, it sounds like he had a terrible work life balance though like he it, i cannot overstate i am leaving a lot out of this summary because it was just too much this dude was involved with clubs magazines editing stuff translating stuff interview he was always doing something uh he mm. also had i think it was very severe asthma but due to a complication with like he he just had a lot of respiratory illness stuff going on and he apparently was very open about it and would joke about the fact like i'm probably not going to make it to 40 um and it, he was right uh bro be, because take a break <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh because of complications due to i think it was an asthma medication he was taking it resulted in a heart attack at age 36 and he passed away um 13 days later hajime suburaya would also pass away leaving their uh their relationship forever unhealed um that's, I, uh, that's sad. Damn. Yeah, weird fucking guy. Uh, I would also like to give credit to a lot of this information. Uh, there's a breakdown on Twitter from writer and reporter Matt Alt, who uh, also wrote the book Pure Invention, How Japan Made the Modern World. Uh, someone who has just written a lot in the English world uh, covering tokusatsu and like kaiju and, and Japanese filmmaking mm-hmm. history. Um, and uh, his thread... Uh, was a great resource for um, giving some further context for okay, so uh, for Atomo. We could, we could put that thread stuff. in the description too. Absolutely, I can I can provide you a link after. Uh, um, this guy sounds like a real piece of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, again, he is called the first otaku, and I feel like a lot of the connotations yeah. you can feel the roots being planted here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Damn. Um. He he, yeah, he I, would say genetic type new type. He would yes. say genetic type. He, I mean he he would he would continue to talk about uh Aztec temples as uh, weird and heretical. Yeah. <laughs> That's not great. No. No. <laughs> um damn. Well, okay. That was a hell of a tangent. So, what yeah. Were you talking about <laughs> back, so back to the original guy who actually wrote this episode. Back to the writer of this episode, uh, Mr. Fujikawa. Uh, so, uh, when we last left off Mr. Fujikawa, he was, uh, he won a lot of awards back-to-back as a, as a student writer in college, where he happened to meet, uh, this Turbo Nerd. Um, so, after making a name for himself in the industry, still as a student, uh, he graduated... Unfortunately, just kind of graduated at what seemed like the wrong time. Apparently, famously, he met all of the requirements to work at Toho, and they wanted to hire him, but they were just like, we already are kind of full here, we can't take on another writer, like, we just can't justify it at the time. So they were like, sorry, we love your work, but just, we we can't hire you right now, there's just not space, there's not, there's not any openings for you. Um... And he just could not find work anywhere, uh, which was a massive bummer. Uh, this eventually reached a crisis point when uh, his family uh, disowned him 
for his career choice. They wanted him to carry on the popular soba restaurant business. And he was like, fuck you. I'm a very good writer. I'm going to keep being a writer. Um, and his family both disowned him and then also cut him off financially. Um, apparently this period of time was such a struggle for him and, and so dire in terms of just financial security that he, he almost starved to death. Um, nobody really makes this parallel, but just, I, I have my suspicion that his experience struggling to find work at this time is why he is now so involved in the modern day with his, his activities doing work uh, for writers groups and support groups and, and making sure that writers are treated well in, in various industries um, creatively. Because um, he, he lived the worst case scenario, just not being able to feed himself uh, would, would doing what sense. he wanted to do. Yeah. Um, he eventually did find work, though, doing some writing for radio stations. It doesn't seem like he was actually doing, like, radio drama stuff. This seems more like it was, like, ad stuff or just general, like, radio program writing things. Uh, not, not like, very fancy, like, big, recognizable work. It just kind of just, like, doing general writing stuff for radio shows. Um... However, uh, his life would change when uh, Toshihiro Ijima, a person we have talked about many times before in, in these production recaps, uh, would uh, say, hey, why don't you hop on over here to Subarai Productions and uh, start working on some of these tokusatsu shows? Um, so he would go on to work on some of the Ultra series, including Ultraman. Um, while working on Ultraman, he met the artist and mechanical designer uh, Toru Narata, who in turn introduced him to a television producer by uh, television producer, sorry, by the name of Yoshinobu uh, Nishizaki, who um, like the, those two had just been working together on a lot of projects, uh, like that designer producer team, um, and they got to talking with Mr. Fujikawa, and they said, "Hey, why don't we pivot you into doing more anime stuff instead of um, live action drama and tokusatsu stuff?" This is where he got involved with uh, writing scripts for a little-known show called Space Battleship Yamato. <laughs> oh. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this would be a significant turning point in his career, especially during the early parts of his, his anime writing era. He wrote for many popular anime, including The Moomin Adaptation, Mazinger Z, Six God Combination God Mars. Super Electromagnetic Robot Combatler V. Oh, oh. And adaptations of Leiji Matsumoto works such as Queen Millennia and uh, Galaxy Express 999. Um, side tangent, he seems to have quite a few friendships in the manga industry as a whole. Um... I cut out a whole part because I couldn't find, like, concrete information, but it seems like he was good friends with Gonagai back in the day. Uh, and he, because he worked on so much Matsumoto stuff, um, he he became kind of close with him. Uh, there's some talk about, like, he, he worked on a Tezuka adaptation or two, and there's some talk, like, he, he kind of had a working relationship with him because of that as well. Uh, heavily involved in the, the, big, the big heavy hitters of manga. Uh, he would also go on to make manga of his own. In particular, he wrote a manga titled Wandering Sun, which would receive an oh, anime... Oh, shit. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know where this is going. Uh, 
This would receive an anime adaptation by Mushi Productions. Uh, this show's production was the place where a young Yoshiyuki Tomino would meet uh, Yoshikazi Yasuhiko, both of whom would go on to make Mobile Suit Gundam. Um, Tomino has Damn. cited the work of Fujikawa as one of his creative influences when he was a younger man. Hell yeah. Okay, so this guy uh, is a big deal. <laughs> This is where we get to the part I've been most excited to share with you all. And this I is think the... is maybe the... F- There's been so much. There's more? Don't this is maybe the funniest thing I will ever say on this podcast. Go ahead. <clears throat> As the 80s began, Fujikawa became disillusioned with the anime, in- uh, sorry, anime. <laughs> anime industry as mm. it became more reliant on sponsors to get shows made. Notably, he has cited the release and popularity of Super Dimension Fortress Macross <laughs> as heavily influencing his decision to leave anime script writing. Uh, yes, I'm... <laughs> Specifically, he felt that Macross was emblematic of a trend at the time, that the quality of writing was being sacrificed for visual storytelling. He did not like this and decided he would rather write novels instead. Okay, listen... First episode, first twenty episodes of Macros are pretty good, though. <laughs> now, here, now here's the here's the thing. Here's the thing, man. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not gonna. The bit that, of Macros that I'm complaining about is not that it looks good. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? No, um, now, if he's talking about, do you remember love? That's a different story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll, just throw, we'll just throw in some controversial opinions. Generally, uh, do you remember love? hated haters <laughs> i'm nicer to that movie than most but i prefer the tv show um yeah. I, and by my most i mean our immediate circle of oh yes people yes. that don't like do you remember love um but uh yeah uh he he just overall seemed like he did not like that like the sponsorship thing was becoming so important to getting an anime made and he was like fuck, fuck this it's I mean, not enough about the writing um good thing it's too much about the the animation Good thing things have changed for the better. <laughs> yeah. Every, everything's normal now. We um, fixed it. Tokusatsu, so, also not merchandise German. <laughs> yeah. he, he apparently went on to write a bunch of novels. Many of them were, were well-received and loved. Um, though occasionally he would return to anime and like TV movie stuff, um, specifically if it was like a revival of something else he had worked on or been involved with. Uh, one of the Ultra Q sequel, like, reboot, remake things he apparently worked on, he had some involvement in. I couldn't find which one, like, just doing a quick glance. Okay. Um, so we'll see which one that is. Uh, and then also, some of the Matsumoto anime stuff that was happening, like, in the 2000s, he apparently was, they asked him to come back on to uh, help out with, and he uh, he was more than happy to. Um, that is my, that is the entirety of my production stuff for uh, this batch of Ultra man episodes all all condensed down into this one very i was, mid I was episode. Say, it's very good you didn't have notes for next episode because you have a time limit yeah uh i did get an extension on that so okay, okay we're good because uh, yeah we haven't gotten to the main event of this episode yet and <laughs> i know jesus christ this probably this Damn, probably that's a this could be like the biggest gap between two episode <laughs> timestamps. <laughs> that was that was so much lore about Ultra Q. <laughs> uh, 
Um, I had no idea that there was uh, just... Oh, man. I'm very yes, happy uh, with uh, the rabbit hole I went down is, <laughs> going through it, all it, it is extremely funny to me that like the sci-fi guy does try to literally dissect what the kaiju are, and then the horror guy's like, no, that's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> like, th- that's the thing, though, is it's it's so emblematic of what this looks like even now. That divide has always existed since the root of this. I, I love I love it. It's ridiculous. Uh... I think I, can, I think this explains a lot about the different conflicting ideas of what Ultraman is too, because like Ultra Q is definitely like inspired yeah. by horror anthology, but also just like the Ultra series and especially Ultraman Gen, they are like extremely like this is a sci-fi series, so like mm-hmm. there's the two tensions going on there, and I, and like definitely like Ultra Q is more in the horror field than Ultraman is. So yeah, uh, and and like, it's not that there wouldn't be like episodes here or there that dip back into that field, but I do think like just on account of being a superhero series, Ultraman and the Ultra franchise is more in the science fiction camp as it is right now. For most of it, you know what? You know what? I'm I'm increasingly I realize Hajime clearly uh uh nepotism tyranny uh clearly not the most fun guy to work with uh but coming around yeah as, <laughs> as you talk about it, on his whole opposition to this as i look at this image on the right of the heart the dissection of the heart and i'm like no it's four di- it's like a weird extra dimensional being yeah what are you talking about why why does the, why does his heart have like intestines in it like what is <laughs> you can't explain this thing and Completely. that's the whole point is that's <laughs> yeah. fucking weird Yes. Uh you absolutely ridiculous. Don't don't Get out of don't the, try the to... thing that the thing that seems wild to me is that it it genuinely seems like to make these illustrated guides he was actively like going into the place where they were making the stuff and like basing it partially off of like concept sketches and like design sketches and stuff. And that's part of the reason why they're like get the fuck out of here. You're not allowed back in the building. I mean, dude. yeah, that's also yeah. fucked up. Yeah. When when you said that Hajime was mad at this guy, and I was like, well, yeah, obviously. And then you started talking about the ideological opposition to it. Well, I was more thinking of <laughs> of him taking the ideas and just posting them for everyone to see. Uh, concept Ridiculous. art is real, guys. Yeah. Concept. As we all know, ideas um, that were talked about but then aren't in the show are realer than things that just are never talked about. <laughs> True. That's how it works. Yeah. It's I it's it's the cutting room the cutting room floor is less real. Just a message to everyone. The cutting room floor is less real than anything that was just literally never mentioned anywhere because it was actively rejected. <laughs> um all right. Well, on that, let's get in. Now Now that we know all that, I don't know that I know all that, but maybe I'll know all that once I re-listen to it <laughs> through. <laughs> it was a lot.
It was a lot. Damn, I think that's some... the most I've ever written for one of these. <laughs> yes, yeah, sometimes sometimes the production notes are, yeah, it was these guys again. And sometimes the production notes are, are you ready <laughs> for some history? Uh, I, I just, I, I wish... I, I wish there was a show so popular that I went, I'm just going to stop making things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, yeah. a, what a what a fucking turn. Never, genuinely one of the funniest things I've ever read in my life. I feel like... <laughs> fucking I feel Macross. Like, I, I feel like there are other cases of that happening, but this guy getting burned out on Macross is extra funny. I just... I. Th- I feel like you also just don't get that with Japanese creators a lot, where they're specifically like, yeah, fuck this particular show. <laughs> like, <laughs> you don't often get that. It's very interesting to me. Uh, it is also funny, given, like, the obvious influences uh, Balshay Shippibato have on Macross, so. Yes. That is, that is it's very funny, the idea of him watching Macross and being like, Oh, this is the shit I wrote. Why'd you draw it like that? Doing too he much. Just, he just doesn't appreciate Max Genius. Uh, <laughs> the most divorced man alive. Oh, we should all appreciate appreciate The most divorced man... I need to macro, watch Macro 7 I mean, urgently. The most divorced man alive? Oh my god. Speaking of... Okay, I can't. We, we we spent too much time, but I need to finish that. There's an there is a link between Armored Core Project Phantasma and Max Genius. Uh, well, yes. I mean, uh, besides the Kawamori. Yeah. Uh, okay. Tell me about Same this later because I want to. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, wow. okay. Same voice actor. For the antagonist. Listen, Project listen, Phantasma, yes. listen. is a good voice actor, even if he is playing <laughs> Burn Burnings. That too. I am. I am. Fan, I have big. I am Phantasma. Fuck you. <laughs> Fight yes. me. Much funnier Meet knowing me. that that was Max Genius. <laughs> Meet me outside in the parking lot. <laughs> uh, Armored Core is good. Anyway, we should talk about the Mephilus. Talk about fucking Mephilus. We, we should be the most excited for this. Are, Let's get to. We are two hours in. Episode thirty-three: The Forbidden Words. Hayata and Fuji are out at an air show with a kid who is. Definitely not Hoshino. This is Fuji's <laughs> younger brother, Satoru. We are absolutely not filling in for an injured child actor. They're all marveling at the planes, and Satoru hears a strange voice in his said say, Planes fly. Everyone has seen planes fly. It's not special. Watch this. And everyone watches in horror as an oil tanker flies across the sky and then fucking explodes. All the planes float off towards space, and Hayata bundles Fuji and Satoru into the car, which also proceeds to float away, like it's that Irish vine with the helium balloons. Um, Ide and Arashi are sent to space to investigate the missing planes, and they also find the fucking car. As the squad wonders where their missing members could be, they get a call. Fuji has been found. Muramatsu asks where she is, and the response he gets is like, oh, she's on X Street. Now, what kind of response is that? Muramatsu, Ide, and Arashi arrive at the location and run to the front of a horde of cops who are all peering upwards, as though looking at some kind of giant. What are they all looking at? It's giant Fuji time, motherfuckers. We're back. We did it. We did it. Uh. Um, Despite the squad's pleas, Fuji doesn't hear them. It's as though she is being controlled. But controlled by who? Inside a strange ship. 
Satoru hears the voice again, accompanied by shining blue eyes in the dark. The light comes on, and it's our fucking boy, Mephilus, and he ain't looking quite so skinny as he did when we saw him. Uh, so, Shin Ultraman is a movie movie that com- that kind of compiles some of the like iconic shit from Ultraman, um, and Mephilus is iconic. Uh, yeah, he uh, is. enough to make it into Ultraman. So, spoilers, he's, he's in Shin Ultraman. We, we warned you, we were going to talk about Shin Ultraman. Mephilus is our boy, he's from Shin Ultraman. Um, and here he is. He tells Satoru that just as humans love the stars, he loves the planet called Earth. Mephilus says he wants Earth, but he is a gentleman and abhors violence. So he will simply asks, uh, ask. So he asks Satoru, can I have Earth? Satoru says, no. Mephilus admits that it is difficult to give up your homeland, but uh, he shows Satoru the vastness of space and says that, unlike Earth, there are thousands of planets out there without conflict, where you can live in peace for hundreds, even thousands of years. So can I have Earth? And Satoru says, no. Um, And Mephilus is like, bitch, why? (laughs) I, I I don't care for wealth or immortality. I am an Earthling and I care about Earth. Uh, Mephilus is a little bit put out by this, and he confines Satoru to an anti-gravity prison. He summons Hayata, and Hayata laughs at him, like, lol, you couldn't even convince a little kid to betray the Earth. You fucking suck. More like Lion, the Lion, the Bitch, and the Wardrobe. Mephilus calls Hayata Ultraman throughout this, and asks him whether he is human or alien. And Ultraman slash Hayata says both. And before he can transform and end this right here, Mephilus freezes Hayata in place. And he will remain there for several minutes uh, in that pose. Mephilus gives the order for Giant Fuji to attack, and Fuji's actor gets to have fun for the first time and starts to break buildings open. Uh, The squad has to stop cops from shooting her, and then she just disappears and is replaced by a giant Boltan, a giant Zarab, and a giant Kemmer? Yeah, what the fuck? Bringing, bringing the boys back. Uh, Mephilus' voice is heard on Earth, and he says, I don't want to give the order for these monsters to attack. you got a lot of nice things. It'd be ashamed if they got broken. Uh, uh, he is a gentleman, and he abhors violence. Uh, meanwhile, uh, well, uh, he I puts s- Fuji... I just want to say oh, here uh, that uh, Captain's like, Hey, you can't scare us with those guys. The SSP beat all of these guys. I'm like, uh, no, you didn't. Kemmer no, was. Kemmer was. <laughs> Kemmer was. <laughs> no, you didn't. Ide took care of Kemmer. Don't take credit for this. Uh, God. Um, the uh, yeah. Meanwhile, he puts Fuji in the anti-gravity prison with Satoru. The squad receives word the radio signals have been tracked to the Takinazawa Mountains, and the SDF begins bombing the fuck out of them. Uh, Mephilus' ship is forced out of hiding and shoots down the fighters, but has less luck shooting down the SSSP VTOLs. Uh, Mephilus sees the way the wind is blowing and abandons the controls. Uh, The squad lands, infiltrates the ship, rescues Fuji uh, and Satoru, but Hayata is frozen still, and they just fucking abandon him. Uh, Uramatsu is like, there's no time, uh, because Muramatsu is probably thinking, yeah, yeah, he's going to turn into Ultraman. Let's leave him to it. Uh, He'll be fine. Uh, Hayata topples over as the spaceship rocks from the blast, and when he hits the floor, the button gets pressed. He turns into Ultraman and faces off with Mephilus. Now, 
up until now, the episode has been okay. It's been kind of wacky, right? Uh, but it's not, you know, it's, I wouldn't call it like anywhere near like as good as the Zarab episode. So I'm stuck here wondering, now why is Mephilus so iconic? Then we get to the fight and I realize just as Vegeta is to Goku, Sasuke is to Naruto, <laughs> Pegula, and Pegula is to Jun, Mephilus <laughs> is to Ultraman. <laughs> uh, they match each other's attacks and neither gets the advantage over the other until they have a proper Western quick draw moment, but neither shoots their beam. And Mephilus lowers his arm and says, all right, I think that's enough. We two aliens shouldn't be fighting. I abhor violence. To tell the truth, I wanted the spirit of Earth. I don't know what that means. Uh, but I have been beaten today. And just before he fades away, Mephilus assures Ultraman that he'll be back. Because if at first you don't succeed, try, try, try again. One of my favorite sayings. Uh, <laughs> Hayata makes his appearance and congratulates Satoru on his good nature. Uh, Fuji doesn't remember turning big and everyone finds that really funny. Uh, and the narrator implores us, to please look after and defend Earth, because it's our Earth. The end. Now, just quickly, before we get into anything else, is Mephilus like a vampire or something? Does he need someone to invite him to rule Earth? Why is he asking this kid if he can have Earth? I, I genuinely think it is... So... <sighs> The, the broader thing of this, obviously, is that Mephilus, it's a play on Mephistopheles, this demonic mm -hmm, devil yeah. imagery stuff going on here. He, like, I, I think the, the whole idea is just, like, he, he wants to show to humanity that they don't necessarily deserve the Earth. And, like, if, if even one of you are willing to surrender it to me, mm -hmm. it shows that your spirit is broken and, and you're better left under my rule and that right. the, the innocence and pure heartedness of this child defeats him and if if he he doesn't want to take it by force because he said that, that that bit at the end with him wanting to take the spirit of earth is him going like i i need the moral victory or what i feel is the moral victory i can't just brute force it even though i probably could mm -hmm. uh which makes him fun i like him. yes yeah he's good uh he's uh, obviously i think i guess we I was going to say something, but I figure, I figure I want to save that for when we actually get into the Shin Ultraman stuff, but... Uh, I mean, we can... We can just get into the Shin Ultraman okay. stuff. Okay, I think we can just do that, because uh, that's just how it is. Yeah. Uh, we can't talk about this and not talk about Shin Ultraman. Uh, Mephilus is in Shin Ultraman. Uh, he's the best bit of Shin Ultraman. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, far and away. It's very easily just, like, he's, he's the standout guy in Shin Ultraman. Um... And uh, so we were excited or, or, or apprehensive something about when Mephilus shows up because we were like, what if he's boring? What if he's not funny? What if he's not like uh, kind of weird and fun? Um, and it turns out he was kind of weird and fun. Yeah, uh, it's definitely a different type. Like in Shin Ultraman, he definitely has more yes. of that um, Mark Zuckerberg energy. <laughs> attached to <laughs> oh my fucking god yes yes uh which makes it this version uh, is far more like classically sinister yeah. which i think works considering like again they're going for a very clear demonic thing yeah here and like him. it is like a different era you're not gonna get the silicon valley tech bro guy in 60s japan media um mm -hmm. but like also just like him being like oh i'm a gentleman and just like being like that adds more flavor to him and i think like works like, I can see how you get yes. from one to the other. Um, I, I I would even venture as far as to say I, I feel like um, something interesting that I noted with his design, because I was actually kind of shocked at how close it was to the Shin Ultraman one. 
I feel like you're kind of seeing the roots here of what I would associate with, like, common Rider villain design. Like, it, it looks kind of sleeker in a way compared to other suits and stuff we've gotten from Ultraman. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I think the thing is, is, it, like, you got different kinds of kaiju monsters in the Ultra series, and I feel like by necessity, the ones that are, like, aliens that turn big are just going to be more humanoid mm-hmm. designs just because uh, you're not... Like... Peter aside, you're not going to just have, like, a lizard guy walking around in the mm. SSSP building. <laughs> um, Peter aside. Uh, and I think that kind of lends, mm. like, you know, people, Kaiju, like, Red King and Gamora are iconic guys, but they're, like, iconic in, like, the way Godzilla or Pokemon or Digimon are. And, like, mm. I feel like Z- guys like Zarab or Bolton on... Mephilus are iconic as like characters. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, they're they're all like mascots to varying degree, but like you know, obviously it's a difference that matters. Yeah. Um. Um. The uh, the uh, the ending with him because uh, you know I I wasn't expecting uh it to mirror sort of the the shin kamen rider ending for mephilus where mephilus just kind of uh a little a little different from this mephilus spots uh, a bigger threat off in the corner of the screen and literally goes ah uh, i'm out yeah yeah uh, bye. <laughs> yeah this one he's just kind of uh, like clearly i'm good <laughs> uh, yeah this one he's like i you've you've beaten me this time but like listen i'll be back uh, I'm the devil, it, you won't get rid of the devil. It is fun that the Shin Ultraman fight, is there also pretty evenly matched? Uh, blow for blow? Uh, mm-hmm, yes. Um, yeah, that's... Thinking about the uh, shot where they both good. kick each other, and, like, <laughs> their yes. feet touch for whatever reason. <laughs> the, that sick-ass fake, like, rebuild of Ava track, <laughs> please. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's, it's so funny, it's so good. Um... I, uh, having, inventing a new child to replace Hoshino, so, so unfortunate. It felt, it felt, <laughs> yeah. It, it, like, if, this episode would have been better if Hoshino was here, I think. Because I feel like having a random kid for one episode be, like, the crux around which the Mephilus thing was. Yeah. Like, it's it's an issue. Like of, this is in the this um, is in the third block of recordings, and like, um, because you know they did like thirteen mm-hmm. and thirteen, thirteen, um, and like mm-hmm. Hoshino left the show around, like the second block, episode twenty five, but like I have to imagine they were like writing well in advance, and like this just yeah. feels like an episode that works better if you know who the kid is before, uh, and yes. like. Oh, this character. This is a kid who has an attachment to like Fuji. It's like, well, that makes sense when you consider like Hoshino being like tied to the hip with Fuji in the past. Uh, I also think I, I, I also think I read like in like an early U.S. dub for Ultraman. It's not in the it's not in the Japan media, but like in the early in an early U.S. dub, Hoshino just is Fuji's sister, a brother. Excuse me. Um, oh, like that that obviously doesn't yeah. factor in. It's just like an interesting like coincidence, I think. Um, mm-hmm. This is trivia, but like, yeah, I th- this episode I think would be more emotionally 
interesting if like it was actually Hoshino and like a character we knew being like having to it's not really a dilemma because you know they're going to make the right choice but like it is just more interesting just having like a character we care about being asked to make this decision in a mm. way i do feel it adds to it as a biblical like i so i i should start by saying i do think it would be better and it, it is very obvious to me this was supposed to be hoshino i do think the fact it is just some random kid makes it feel more like a biblical parable type thing of just like oh this random child like th- there's a weight to just Had like to resist the temptation of the devil yes exactly whereas like hoshino he knows what's up he, he's he's seen an alien or two in his time uh, um but i i do agree i think it would have there would have been a lot more weight and done a lot for hoshino as a character if this was his decision uh there is an interesting weird version that exists in my head where ide is given this choice immediately after the jam episode <laughs> Oh my god. Oh my god. Me- oh, Mephilus has him. Mephilus would have him. Oh god. Uh, I feel like- There's another version like- where Arashi is taking a drink of his cigarette and he goes, so how many spider shots are on that planet you're offering? <laughs> uh, uh, I, I mean, it, it, I feel like this episode would be weird if it was like an adult making the decision, but like, I feel like it needs to yeah. be a kid, but uh, it would mm. be interesting having post-Jamila try and have this moral quandary given yeah uh, i i will say so there is no way for me to talk about this without sa- sounding like i'm giving like an anime villain motivation backstory speech but my favorite like folklore thing of all time is the faust like the the myth of faust the, this idea of being offered this this absolute power deal at the cost of your own soul and, like, an eternal damnation and, and the sacrifice that people are willing to... Like, what people are willing to sacrifice for temporary power and control and, and agency. Um, it is something that, like, creatively, kind of, like, I find very influential and it is an idea that I I find crops up time and time again in various forms. Like, even... I would even say, like, part of my interest in the mecha genre, I think, goes back to this idea of borrowed power and and taking mm-hmm. like being provided some sort of like heinous evil power that allows you to enact change on the world but at what cost sort there, of thing there's no shortage of mecca like that that's for sure yeah <laughs> um so i feel like more often than not i'm interested in that from the perspective of seeing what it takes like why someone makes the decision to do that but also to this was kind of a nice classical take on the story where it's just like oh no this is this is someone being offered the contract to, to write their name of the devil's handbook and going this fucking no <laughs> this is a bad idea <laughs> i'm not gonna get in the robot i'm not gonna i'm not gonna give up the earth for an immortal life and new planet um looking forward to the ultraman where the ultra becoming the ultraman is the faustian bargain i don't know if that happens oh, it'd be, be fun so it'd cool. be pretty cool though i hope so that would be nice. Um, Damn. Uh, we should also talk we, a bit about Giant Fuji, us. to be honest. Giant, so Giant Fuji is real. Uh, the original it. giant house. Uh, it is cool that yep. like her actress gets to be giant in a way that Jun and Ipe did. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Go watch all Q. Uh, yep. uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that this wasn't the director of Shin Ultraman's barely disguised <laughs> fetish. It still could be. <laughs> um, 
uh, yeah, you know, in, in Shin Ultraman, uh, some plots. This is office, gonna... a giant office lady. Uh, uh, very, very, very clear. Very clear what's happening. Um, <laughs> this is gonna be a dumb quote. I don't even know if I should add. Just do it. Oh, go, now that you've said that, you have listen, to listen. Listen, we continue. We've, we've we've made several jokes about the blowjob shot in episode one of Ultraman. Any, we can say <laughs> if it's terrible, I'll cut it. I in, won't. In the I late won't. 1960s, were people into giant women in that way? I do um, not know. <laughs> I'm sure, probably, but there might be like someone somewhere. Someone somewhere, probably. Yeah. Um, it was cool, and, and Kaiju were getting like... popular. So, hmm? just. I mean, kaiju were getting popular. Giant, giant beings were in the consciousness. This is true. And eventually, everyone will always turn something into a weird, horny thing. So yeah, that. Uh, this is weird. Ha- Hajime- oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> this, is, this is this is why Hajime Sabrai wants to keep the mystery because look at that! Look at that book. There's nothing horny there. Uh, uh, this is this is the actual this is the actual divide is uh, sci-fi guys are uh, <laughs> sci-fi guys are virgins and horror guys are horny. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, it was just uh, is it was like a surprise and very cool to see like oh uh, she is big here uh, they are doing it she is big uh, and then he does she is big just bring in like all of the previous alien invasion guys. Uh, which is cool. Yeah. Uh, the the thing the thing that doesn't the, the thing that Shin Ultraman introduces is that like the giant uh, the giant woman is like part of the plot. Like it's a plot point that she's giant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for the in a way that military isn't here <laughs> military industrial complex plot. Whereas this yeah, is just like it's a, dem- it's a demonstration. Uh, this one's a more demonstration because uh, Mephos like look how cool I am. <laughs> Which is also pretty. Look at what I can fucking do to you. He's like, which I'm not going. He's to like, because I ab- I abhor like, that. I'm so powerful, I can bring back Ultra Q. <laughs> yeah. Play- Camera makes an, our old friend. Uh, uh, I I was losing my. I watched the the batch of episodes with my friend Claire again, and one of the few episodes of Ultra Q she she saw was Challenge from the Year 2020, and she was like, "I'm so fucking happy I was here for the return of Cabrera." I'm like, "You do not even yeah, know how yeah. lucky you are." I think. I think. I think. It was rated differently when we did like her kaiju rankings, but I do think Kemmer is my favorite Ultra Q kaiju. I think. Oh damn! Uh, so yeah. I am pleased. I mean, it's just also a really good episode, so that's why. But like, yeah, uh, it did make me happy. It's here. Um, sorry to Garamon and the Cicada Man, you aren't important enough to show up in this line. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Cicada Man too small. He did get fucked by a laser too. Uh, Garamond's yeah, too busy grieving the loss of his child, <laughs> Pigmon. Yep. Uh, <laughs> they called Garamond. He's like, I'm grieving. He's like, okay, we'll get Kemmer. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just imagining Garamond just with a box of tissues and then the phone rings and he's making his new stupid salad figure hands to <laughs> flop over to the phone, pick it up. <laughs> he gets a call from Buffalus. <laughs> Oh. Mephilus is like, I'll send you another balloon. <laughs> uh, God damn. Uh, yeah, so this was uh, obviously same. This was the same um, director as the last episode, uh, Toshitsugu Suzuki. 
Um, something I want to note. So this was written by Tetsuo Kinjo, who we have talked about a lot. Um, mm. Something I noticed, one of the other episodes he had written for Ultraman was Brother from Another Planet. So, like, at least two out of the three episodes he wrote were adapted for Shin Ultraman. That's that's pretty good. <laughs> it's gotta feel gotta feel pretty good. Yeah. Uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll see uh, if he huh. wrote another one <laughs> down the road. Intra- uh, I can confirm. Yes. Okay. <laughs> looking at, okay. looking at this booklet. <laughs> okay. Well, that's, that's really funny. <laughs> uh, two weeks from now, we'll look into that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's <laughs> Can you what? <laughs> okay, I just gotta say, the next batch of episodes, we got one coming up called Don't Shoot Arashi. <laughs> yes. I'm always saying this. Is is this, is this, is, I assume this is with a comma. <laughs> no, it's Don't Shoot Exclamation Point Arashi. <laughs> okay, there we go. Uh, I was, I was picturing both versions of the show. One where it was Don't Shoot Arashi, slash Don't Shoot Arashi. <laughs> don't shoot him. Don't Shoot Arashi? No, don't. Shoot Arashi. <laughs> this is this is why um, uh, I'm gonna be I'm gonna I'm gonna be real Ultraman. I think Arashi's gonna shoot. <laughs> I think he's gonna do it. It's what he was born to do. Um. All right. Well, I the the thing about this episode is that there's not like a lot to say about it because uh, beyond what we've already said, it's it's wacky. It's it's fun. Um. You know, it doesn't quite fully work on with having just like random kid out of nowhere, but you know, it it does its best. And then the fight is kind of sick. Like it's yeah. a lot of it's a lot of them just standing there, um, uh, facing off, uh, and uh, it's it's kind of understated. Yeah, it's pretty. There's good. like some cool I... cool beams that cancel each other out. Uh, they. Yeah. throw each other to the ground a couple times and it's good i i mm-hmm. will say i on watching it i absolutely understand how for kids watching it at the time the alien just stopping and going this is dumb let's call it here we don't need to do this would have been the like hypest a huge, thing yeah, yeah. like yeah. massive impact like that that would have blown my fucking mind as a kid i know like um like just, good just compared to like every other way these end like we for most of the show, like there's been like two or three occasions where Ultraman like shows mercy, and otherwise just like cuts people in half. And there's one where the guy is just like strong enough to be like, "Nah, I can just I can just leave. Yeah. <laughs> I can just leave." <laughs> Bored now. Bye. Um, it's really it's cool. Um. Uh, I like my flesh. It will be fun if we. Same. I don't know. If, I don't know if we do, but it would be fun if we get like, with the next batch of episodes or the one after, just another Mephiles appearance. But who knows? <laughs> they immediately do it. They're like, "I told you I'd be back. I'm back." <laughs> yeah. Uh... Oh, you know, you could ski forever. What? <laughs> the snow is extra fluffy. You won't break another limb. God. Um Right. Well unless we have anything more to say about this episode, should we talk about color timers? Uh yeah. Oh we got one more one more thing. This is not about this Go episode specifically, it. but it's more like some trivia we 
could have noted last week but didn't but is especially relevant this week uh episode 30 the episode with Wu, uh was the first appearance of type c ultraman the last refined suit of ultraman uh Oh, okay. oh I did not notice. Uh, I'm gonna be real. <laughs> uh, it's it looks good if you look at this the episode. You're like, oh yeah, it's a good looking Ultraman suit. But I also, unlike unlike the Type A suit, which is like visibly melting, uh, and so the upgrade mm, to Type B looks like mashed potatoes a little bit. Yeah, like the Type the Type B suit is like such a strong, obvious upgrade, and I feel like maybe this one is like still like an upgrade probably if you look them side by side, but like. It's not as it's obvious like unless you like, yeah. look at them directly. Like, uh, I don't know, let's see. Let's see. Ultraman type C. Yeah, if I could see them side by side, maybe I would be able to tell, but I, I, I don't... Yeah. I did not notice. Yeah, just because I'm like... You know... Well, if you had an illustrated guide to kaiju... I, <laughs> oh, fuck. Uh, <laughs> this, is how, this is how it happens. I think... Uh, Honestly, I think I've seen, like, <laughs> some stuff where it's like, oh, here's how the biology of Ultra Guys work. And I'm like, I don't need to know this. <laughs> this is, like, the worst thing you could have could have done. Okay. It looks like the Tsuburaya wiki has images of all three. Yeah, I have, I have one right here. Ah, okay. Oh, okay. Okay, okay I yeah. can see it. Yes. Yeah. yeah um, the Type-C suit, I guess, has, like, the wider mouth. And I think that's, like, what the like modern design looks like i can't believe we watched 13 episodes of that first suit. It's so we'll fucking look at it's it so <laughs> like you you can just see the difference in like type a and type b the money that like, Ultra yes, made at a glance uh one oh, yeah, thing yeah, i yeah. will note and i have I've been meaning to bring it up eventually at some point. I very much enjoy the fact that at least the Type C suit they they made the the pupils that he have just like kind of gone because it always just looks like he's looking down, like he he spilled some spaghetti on his shirt, yeah. and I kind of <laughs> fucking hate it. Yeah, I mean, it looks. I'm sorry, it looks dumb. I mean, <laughs> I've never liked that part of the design. Does the guy in there does need to see? I suppose. Oh my god, he's just, he's always, he's permanently got a fly has landed on his nose. <laughs> Ever since I saw the cover of, like, the, the Blu-ray, like, way back even, like, before this podcast was even a thought in any of our brains, uh, I was always like, what, why why he look like that? <laughs> uh, unfortunately, um, now, uh, uh, now that is all I can see. Cursed, <laughs> <laughs> cursed. This is all I've ever been. I've just watched the show like this. This is all you I've ever kept, been able kept, to see. You kept it to yourself out of kindness. Your yeah. generosity. Uh, I, I'm gonna be honest. I kind of thought that everyone else also saw this. I did not know that this was like a big thing. Only <laughs> I, 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 I saw it. I saw them. Okay. But I, I always saw it as oh, that's where the the guy sees through the suit. I had never well, managed to in my brain make the connection of oh, those 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 kind of look like his pupils. Well, uh, yeah, no, no, he's just always looking down. Don't worry. Our next guy has explicit pupils, so we won't have this misunderstanding. <laughs> there oh, we shit. go. Bam. Yeah. Uh, All right. Yeah, color timers. Color timers. Three minute limit now. We got to keep this in mind. Uh, <laughs> our boy Otomo, re- our boy it, Otomo, it, Otomo I, invented I, this. I, I, do think, I do think at some point. The, it was in a magazine. I don't know when, but I do think at some point the three minute limit. The, th- the three minute limit is like. becomes the. Thing. like 
within the series rather than just being a vague thing. Uh, and that's admittedly part of why I made the color tire thing. Now, 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 this is the thing. If you lie loud enough, it becomes real. Damn. Yeah. Uh, just like the economics discipline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, episode thirty-one, two minutes fifty-two seconds. Episode thirty-two, mm. two minutes five seconds. Episode thirty-three, three minutes five seconds. It's over. Uh, listen, over. listen, we've had many over three minutes. <laughs> we, we, one of them was like magazine. four minutes or five this minutes, right? Like one of them was long. We had one last week that was like five minutes. Yeah, the first otaku is coming. Yeah, okay, yeah. Four like, last Ultraman. week, episode twenty-eight was like five minutes fifty-five seconds, literally six minutes, <laughs> double. <laughs> uh, he's 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 writing. He, he filled up on color juice before the fight. He's writing addendums in his magazines, yeah. like ah, oh, this one, this one was extended because of this X Y reason. Yeah. So, so now we know. We keep him honest. Yeah. What a guy! Uh, wow. I have to. Yeah, I have to. I have to go get fishing soon. So we we, we should. Wrap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you you plug you plug first. Uh, it's me, Rosenbrand. Uh, you can find me at Rosenbrand. Go watch my Final Fantasy 16 stream. I, it was uh, honestly a pretty fun time, and uh, we we talk. A, honestly, I I was very happy with how many people showed up to chat with me and, and talk about their feelings on 16, what they liked, what they didn't like. We we had some good conversations in there. Uh, I think that's a good stream. Go watch it. I will stream the rest of the game. Nice. Um, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at gender. No, no, you can't. <laughs> you can do so at ultra underscore Q. That is uh, at ultra underscore Q U E U uh, E. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at gender underscore redacted. Uh, Mel. Uh, my Twitter is at dear crowns. Uh, if you want to email the show, we have two weeks left. We have two episodes left of Ultraman. Uh, send any emails. Uh, you can email us at ultraqpod at gmail.com. Nice. Uh, next week, we are going to watch three more episodes. Uh, it's episode 34, 35, 36. Uh, let's hope the home stretch of Ultraman brings us some bangers. Uh, I'm looking forward uh, to the end game. Yeah. I'm looking forward to, to, to see what they're going to When all the Ultraman kaiju come out of the portals and... The, the movie theater yeah. claps. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's <laughs> they didn't they they stole that from a Toku thing, right? Maybe, probably. Just uh, I think they stole that just, from a common writer. Just uh, uh, Hoshino looks into the sunset. Uh, Mephilo says, "Hello, Peter," and then he's like, "I'm Ultra." <laughs> <laughs> Alright, that's the end of the episode. Uh, <laughs> Goodbye. Uh, it is funny that the Mephilus episode is the longest episode we have so far. Of course it is. Of course it was. It was inevitable. Um, Alright, see you next week. Next week. Bye.